This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody, and happy Monday to you. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Super Bowl last night. Because I sure did. That was last night? Yeah. Oh, you, great. Yeah, Terry read a book. No, I didn't. He said facetiously. I go, did you see the Super Bowl? No. Read a book. Which I thought was I thought that was really big of you to go to book reading on the night of the biggest game of the year. I I didn't though, so I didn't even know uh, Men Are from Mars was still in print. Yeah. Oh, he can't get enough of it. He's read Men Are from Mars, Men Are from Mars for Men, Men Are from Mars from for Women. He's read every version of Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus. I've had absolutely no desire to even find out if that book's – you know, I, I, people talk about that book. I, yeah. I would never read that book. It's a great book. I, you've read it, haven't you? Once, yeah. See? Long time ago. Never, ever. Great book. Well, there's still time. There's still time. We have a lot of Super Bowls straight ahead. I mean, no, every year you'll get one of them. The, the Eagles finally did it. They, again, the underdog went in. Boom. Took it. Underdog. Well, who had who was supposed to win? No, it's a good point. The problem, I mean, the underdog was. I was a kid. The Forty ers played the Chargers, and the Forty ers had, I think, like a twenty point. They were favored by twenty points. Yeah, that's an underdog. If you're, if it's like a touchdown, oh, seven please. points. Come on, come on, it's there. Did anybody really? Come on, were they all thinking? Yeah, the Eagles have a really good shot here. Somewhere, yeah, yeah, a couple. But most people were like, "Well, Tom Brady's it's Tom Brady. always the guy that e- even towards the end it was two minutes to go, and you're like, yeah, no, here, go, here comes Tom Brady.' He turned the ball over, right? He got hit. Yeah. The ball was stripped. Eagles oh. recovered, and everyone's oh. like, "Yeah, it's still Tom Brady. It's oh. two minutes. It's an eternity. He could do this." It was incredible. Incredible. Plus, Tom Brady releases his uh, a documentary. They released a documentary on him, right? The Brady Bunch in Facebook. Facebook. It's called I'd, Life of Tom. Life of Tom. I watched it's two not, episodes. That's what it should have been It's pretty interesting. You watched it? Yeah, I watched two episodes. Why? Because they're 15 minutes each. Oh, your attention span. Yeah. Nice. And uh, it, what was great about it is you realize that, man, the guy's very healthy. Mm-hmm. He has a massage trainer guy that just beats on him. It was great. So is that how you stay athletic through your 40s? Uh-huh. He watches up to five hours of film a day. Yeah. Which is crazy. I can't even watch five hours of Netflix a day. <laughs> That's a struggle to get that far in life. Okay. Yeah. He's at least doing something productive for his employment. Yeah. This is, it was exciting. Why are we playing this music? It's the Brady Bunch. The Tom oh, Brady the Tom Bunch. Brady they Bunch. could have called it that, except obviously the name was taken. There's probably some copyright issues. But Sure. But, uh, yeah. The, but it's but you watched how the, Tom you, spends his time. They could have called it Tom Brady's Bunch. You watched a bunch of episodes of a show. Yeah, of Two. the Brady, Tom Brady show. Plus, uh, the game itself was pretty exciting. Halftime, I didn't, there were didn't seem to be as many commercials that were, you know, I didn't, it's like I didn't even notice the commercials as much. Yeah, there, many of the commercials are just, eh. Probably I, I because they aired before the, the game. Many you could of watch them were, all of them. They're on YouTube. They were, yeah. they were running in the pregame show before the game started. It was some of them. There were some ads that I saw two weeks ago, and they ran them during the Super Bowl. I mean, you spent that much money on an ad. I saw. Okay, I totally get it though. If you spent that much money, you want to get as much airtime as you can with that thing. Yeah. What was your favorite commercial that stood out? 
Mission Impossible. Oh, the movie trailers. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't. There's, pick up on oh, those. it looks good. Mission Impossible. It was a Jurassic World. Oh yeah, the Jurassic World. Avengers. Saw that one. Han Solo. The Solo one. Yeah. They actually put out uh, that. That was the big game trailer. They called it. So mm. it was only like thirty seconds, but they put out a minute and a half one this morning. Whoa! Really? More the, content. I only saw the minute long one. So there's a minute and a half version that came out this morning. Hmm. And about well, halfway through, they throw the logo up for the movie, and you think, oh, it's over. No, no, no. There's another, like, 20 seconds of movie stuff you can watch. Can I mention, as far as I know, this is the first time this has ever happened in movie history. Why? You know, a lot of times they'll release a movie on Netflix. It's just kind of the way things are going now. Yeah. But how many – this is the only time this has happened where they've released a trailer and a movie on the same day. Or they, I think they showed the trailer last night. That was the first time they showed it. It was a surprise movie release on Netflix. Boom, there Ooh. it is. They sent out a yeah. press release right after saying, when the game's over, we're going to put this up so you can watch it. That yeah, doesn't no, happen. Net, but Netflix, that was pretty big league. How do you create buzz around a movie, though, if all the if it's a surprise release? Well, but that's part of the buzz, right? And then everybody just moved from uh, This Is Us. Hmm. They're all like, oh, I'm going to go the, watch the Netflix. The Crock-Pot controversy. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. That's as far as you can go with it. Yeah, we didn't watch it because my wife's trying to save that one. Wait, there's a crockpot argument on the show? Well, yeah, it's been raging. Oh, I got to watch that. In certain circles. What did you think of the uh, red Eminem becoming Danny DeVito? That was funny. Oh, is he the new red? He's the new red. Whoa. Well, for the Super Bowl, we don't know if this is going to continue. And sure uh-huh. was. I mean, he was amazing. He was running around, what, New York or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what about Martin Luther King's words being used for. Selling trucks? A truck. Yeah, that one didn't go over well. Yeah. It's but, trending for all the wrong reasons this morning. It was really weird. I was like, wow, I mean, I like these words a lot. Yeah, but why are what they are, selling Is a that truck? a truck? <laughs> like, are they using the truck to move his podium somewhere and so now, have a really m- amazing movement? Now the argument is that people were kneeling for yeah. know, social civil rights sort of situation. The guy who spoke for civil rights is selling trucks. That's wrong. But if you kneel, oh, the whole yeah. world's coming to an end. Ooh, and then what did you think about, like, the Mexican avocado ad? I didn't – all I noticed was, oh, avocados. Oh, California's yeah. probably pushing avocados. And then <gasps> Mexico? Mexico. They're letting Mexico run ads during the Super Bowl? I <laughs> or the, bet Donald or the Trump mo- is the movie dying. trailer that turned into an Australia tourism board ad. Yeah, that was weird. That was a little strange. How but that will weird. be a movie. It is a movie also. Yeah. But and also, did, you, did you notice Crocodile Dundee himself in that yeah. commercial? He looks he great. Unimpressed. Leathery. Well, well, you would be leathery too. Spend a lot of time in the sun. In the sun a lot. Right. I think it's fantastic. Was there a veteran ad of any kind? Like, please stand or anything like that? There was a lot of, like, God bless America kind of. Well, oh, no, that was. There was a disabled veterans ad that yeah. they wouldn't let what run. They said it was too political. Well, and the coin toss with the disabled, with the, with the Medal of Honor, Honor recipients. That was amazing. Yeah. And the coin toss got a little squirrely. Well, the guy came out and they're like, he's from World War II. My wife went, what? Because they said Iwo Jima. Is where oh, wow. He, where he, and you're like, that dude's old. And then you but see that him, guy's like, yeah, amazing. Did they still so. kneel? Who? Were there people? No, were the football no player? Did. No. Okay. Good. What about the diet coke? Yeah. So everything's safe. No one's going to be offended. <laughs> what about the diet coke mango dance lady? Yeah, that was weird. That was really weird. We, they graded we, it. Where I was, we had more of a discussion of uh, how Coke is trying to save themselves with all these flavors, and we're not sure if it's going to work. Yeah. But mm-hmm. my wife thinks the mango flavor might be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it might be. 
if it makes you dance like that. So we that. didn't really pay attention to the commercial. Keanu Reeves uh, riding a motorcycle, surfing a motorcycle. Hmm. That was interesting. I didn't know that was Keanu. I just thought it was like some daredevil. I don't know if I saw that one. I want to know what you kind didn't? of food I you guys have, had. I may have had some pizza. Square space. Busy. Oh, we had, uh, uh, we had a Mexican fiesta. Really? And then my mom brought an Italian fiesta. Whoa. Yeah, so well, we had like a kind of a Mex-Italian moment. And what flavor Doritos did you have, Terry? There was a jalapeno flavor I found and mm. then a salsa verde flavor. I was really mad. I saw the Peter Dinklage ad finally and he, there's uh-huh. a new flavor. And it's even hotter than the other ones. And I'm like, oh, but they didn't have that at the store I went to. So I'll have to find those and taste them. Do you like wow. him and Morgan Freeman rap battling? That was weird. That was a little, little odd. What about Steven but, but, Tyler going backwards yeah, that was in strange. age? He went from leather to fine, Lace. I guess. But yeah, it was strange. And then back to leather. The really entertainment of the night was watching my 10 and 8-year-old nephews try to eat these hot Doritos. Because <laughs> they were mad no one got like the nacho cheese ones they wanted. So they were kind of ticked off. So they sat there looking at him like, are these hot? And I went, yeah, they're pretty hot. And he's like, okay. So they, they tried them because they wanted some Doritos. Yeah. And they're like, I'm being careful. I'm eating one at a time. And they weren't hot. So, so, so you, you weren't thinking about the kids? No, I was hoping because they tried them before. and they were, I mean, my eight-year-old nephew was under the sink with the faucet on drinking because it was kind of hot for him. The 10-year-old was okay with it. <laughs> so did I miss anything? Because we just rewatched movies that we've seen a hundred times. Like during, We, during we caught, up on, caught up on Groundhog Day and then my wife endured uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom so that we could get to the next one in the series, which oh, is wow. her favorite. Oh, wow. So it was miss? probably the highest scoring. Yeah, it was a really. Bowl. If you like offense, they had it was the, really the most fun. offensive yards and I think the history of the game. Um, so, yeah, you missed quite a bit. But if you don't care about football, you didn't miss a thing. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're totally fine. And I made you know. Muddy Buddies. So I was thoroughly yeah, so entertained. You were happy. Oh, right through great. to like a minute left in the game. Even then, because it's like, it's only a minute. They oh, could yeah. Scored, so, you know, anything what, could happen. At what point then did you say it's over? About, what was One it? One minute. Thir- uh, 30 seconds 30 left? 30 seconds, yeah. Whenever really? The, whenever the Eagles stopped them for the final time, it was over. See, that's a good game. I yeah. think that's but how it all- ended with a Hail Mary that could have gone... Mm. Yeah, well, it, was, it was the Hail Mary, yeah. Gronkowski was right there. And there was, an, gone. there was another uh, uh, Patriots player right there where it oh. looked like he could have reached out and grabbed it and stepped in the end zone. But I think that's how it. you should gauge how good a game was. Yeah. At what point did you say, it's over? Yeah, that, that one you didn't say it. Last year, a lot of people said it at halftime. Yeah. Ooh. See, but that was a mistake. Ooh. And then they rally, so you that couldn't say that at mistake. all. Well, this is exciting. Um, let's get to the headlines, Terry, because uh, I know there's other news. Yes. I mean, it may not be as impactful to well, everybody, maybe. but it could be. At least two dozen people were killed and 116 injured Sunday when an Amtrak passenger train slammed into a parked CSX freight train in wow. South Carolina. The Amtrak train was on its way to Miami. 139 passengers and eight crew members on board when it crashed occurred about 2.30 a.m., authorities said. The two fatalities were later identified as Amtrak employees. South Carolina governor said the Amtrak train appeared to be traveling on the wrong track at the time of the crash, though investigators have yet to determine why. This makes it the third Amtrak crash since December when a, uh, a train derailed on Washington State, killing three, and another Amtrak train carrying members of Congress involved in the crash last week. Now, they're Ooh. saying they were on the wrong track. Someone hit a switch, possibly, along the way, and, and they, the freight train was parked. Oh, 
man. So human error at some point. Possibly they're still investigating. Wow. Day after President Trump declared himself vindicated in the Russian investigation thanks to the controversial Republican memo alleging FBI wrongdoing that was released on Friday. Three Republican members of the House Intelligence Committee on Sunday broke with the president saying the memo changes nothing. Representative Trey Gowdy, the only Republican on the committee who actually saw the classified FBI intelligence at the center of the divisive memo, said special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation should continue despite allegations of anti-Trump bias to the memo. Uh, others, including what Representative William Hurd uh, said on ABC this week, he, he goes, I want to stress Bob Mueller should be allowed to turn over every rock and pursue every lead and continue on. Representative Chris Stewart of Utah said on Fox News it would be a mistake for anyone to suggest that the special counsel shouldn't complete his work. Okay. None of them all asked, is the president vindicated? And they're like, no. this, this doesn't have anything to do with that Everything investigation. Else. Right. Other meetings... Papadopoulos in And if you the read the UK. memo, at the end of it, it says that they had most of this information from what Papadopoulos turned over when yeah. he was drunk at a bar in London talking to Australian diplomats. Shouldn't drink, that's why. So they got all this stuff anyway. So Congress is facing its second possible government shutdown this week, so things to look forward oh, okay. to. Yeah, looking good. Um, it'll happen on Thursday. Oh, boy. Unless, of Unless course. Unless they come up with some. Lawmakers look poised to kick the can down the road again for a second consecutive month with another short-term spending deal. This one until March 22nd. Republicans and Democrats are nowhere close to a deal to allow dreamers to remain in the country, which shut down the government last time. Yeah. Though some are saying it'd be a, as long as they get a debate. That's all the Democrats wanted was a debate. Are I they, don't think they, that's yeah. it. Doesn't I, think seem like they, they're... I think they want the full, let's get this... Made into a law that's fixed. They want something to happen. Vice President Pence leading the White House delegation to the Winter Olympics in South Korea this week plans to try and disrupt any normalization of North Korea amid the feel-good setting of the games. A Pence aide tells uh, Axios the vice president will remind the world that everything the North Koreans do at the Olympics is a charade to cover up the fact that they are the most tyrannical and oppressive regime on the planet. Wow. At every opportunity, the vice president will point out the reality of the oppression in North Korea by a regime that has enslaved its people. Uh, we will not allow North Korea propaganda to hijack the messaging of the Olympics. North Korea wants to make this about cute photo ops. The vice president is counting or er, countering North Korea's desire to control the message. We're not going to cede two weeks of the world media to North Korea. Hmm. Is that not going to do it? I don't know. But you heard uh, the, the North Koreans and South Koreans are sharing a hockey team. They are. And, you know... That's kind of neat. There'll be uh, high-level governmental representation from North Korea. Sadly, they don't get to stay in the same place. No. By the way, all led by a Canadian uh, w- uh, coach. Right. This is the women's team. And the Canadian is leading those two to – actually, they just had their first loss. Oh. Just in you know pre preliminaries. Yeah. Oh, well. But, you know, it was Sweden. So opening uh, – well, yeah. Opening exor- uh, exercises? Opening ceremonies. <laughs> opening Sorry, exercises. That's our show. Opening ceremonies yeah. begin, uh, what, Friday? Wow. So if you want that's to exciting. ignore that, you can start that on Friday. Hmm. Uh, finally, if you uh, don't plan on being on work Monday – Yeah. Apparently everyone's here. Uh, you might want to think of a better excuse than having a bad cough. About 14 million people – Will uh, are expected to call in today. A new service, <laughs> a new survey released this week by Workforce Institute at Chronos uh, and, of course, Mucinex. Details that an estimated 13.9 million Americans will call in sick today after the Super Bowl last night, <laughs> making it one of the biggest sick days of the year. The Monday after the Super Bowl has been notorious 
uh, known as a day when people call out of work. Last year, 16 million Americans said they plan to call in sick because of the game, according to the study. Really? Wow. I should have called in sick today. Which brings up... I was surprised you didn't. I should have. I think this should be some sort of day, this national day off. Yeah, the, what would we call it? The there, day of there's this reckoning. Ev- there's this event where a massive amount of Americans participate. Yeah. And another massive amount of Amer- Americans celebrate by not paying attention. Yeah. Right? They're not there, but they're, they're there. doing other things. Maybe we should just take a day off so we all have a day to recuperate and rest. And- well, recuperate's like one word. Maybe it should be National Repentance Day. Could be. Yeah. It's the day that you should <laughs> repent for ruining a Sunday, the Sabbath. Well, that and you know, overdoing it in every possible way. Oh, but it was a good. There's day also of there, there's also always an argument of moving it the game to Saturday. Yes, now that would be interesting. Then you could continue. There, yeah, but then people would call in sick to church. The revelers are still reveling in right now uh, in Philadelphia. I mean, they, they spent most of the night. They tore down the Ritz Carlton uh, awning. Have you seen that? No. So the Ritz Carlton yeah. in Philadelphia. All the one guy got up on the awning and started dancing around. Then he looks down at the crowd and he's like, "You gonna catch me? You gonna catch me?" Oh, then he no. turns around and just does a swan, you know, backward swan dive off the top. Guy catches him. Everything's fine. Oh, my then the next video I saw, there was about twenty people up on this awning jumping around, and then the whole thing just collapses. Oh boy, that's and, crazy. Anybody know, climb up on the pole? Uh, Any poles lots being of climbed? Pe- well, uh, a lot the, of people trying. The fact that they they said they greased them up just invites the people to climb them. So yeah. people are out there trying, <laughs> and then you know there's you know some you know you always whenever people get out there you know there's always some problems, some cars overturn, that kind of thing. But uh, most of it I think is pretty. Just people having fun. See, a lot of people try to f- find out what their physical peak is. What I can, I'm going to try to climb this mountain. I'm going to try to run five miles. I'm going to try to climb this pole while inebriated. I mean, it's a but, and they won. I mean, this is for Philadelphia. This is about as big as it gets. Well, yeah. What I mean, could be better? I mean, another Rocky, Rocky Balboa win. Maybe yeah. that. Maybe maybe that wouldn't even do it. Probably not. You're kind of sounding like Rocky Balboa this morning. Uh, maybe that wouldn't do it. Ugh. The 76ers are actually good in basketball. Yeah. That may happen. This is exciting. The Phillies win another World Series, maybe. Oh, eh? could happen. Yeah, but this is new. 41-33. to 33. Philadelphia Eagles end the season 16-3. and three. That's huge. New England Patriots 15-4. and four. Oh, it was so close. But... Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. Um, all right. That's, uh, that's interesting. And food was good. Family healthy. My son brought some friends over. Wow. And that's there when things some, went south. There was right? some disdain in some that. Some lady friends. My mom was there, and my mom just sat on a couch with three of my son's lady friends and wowed them with her wisdom. She didn't grill them? No. Hmm. They just Everyone fought to sit by her. I could see that. It's sad. No one was fighting to sit by me or my son. Just my mom. (laughs) You feel left out? Not really. All right. I just kind of was really tired last night. Uh, Jeff got got me sick. Let's just be honest. Jeff brought illness into our hermetically sealed studio, and I think I picked it up. But I thought I when I was sick, I stayed home. So how can that be? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that food you gave me, that tainted food with the funny diseases 
Well, you probably shouldn't have picked it up after you yeah. saw me coughing on it. Yeah, that's a good point. But it was a donut. It looks so good. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about uh, problems with payday loans. Uh, some good advice, of maybe about why you ought to be careful. Watch out for it. It is a loan that many, many people uh, take advantage of, but uh, it, it could end up costing you in ways you may not know. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, anytime you're driving through town, you're guaranteed to cross paths with at least one of the hundreds of payday and title loan businesses that dot the city maps across the country. These companies advertise paycheck advancements that are convenient, quick, without any sort of credit assessment. These advancements are typically loans in about $150 to $400 range with a repayment agreement due when the borrower has a scheduled payment, such as a paycheck. But what are the risks associated with these loans? What are the financial dangers that the nearly 12 million users face? I interviewed Dr. Richard Evans a few months ago uh, regarding a study he did on payday loans, and I began the interview by talking about the bad reputation these establishments have. They have a really bad rap. They do. And you've, you've studied them, and this was a few years ago, but you went, just like in the state of Utah, you, I guess, reached out to all of them trying to do some research. And how, what percentage of them uh, sent back the information you asked for? About 50%. So I think that's a really good response rate for a survey. Yeah. And they gave me some sensitive information. They gave me the the average interest rate on every loan that each store put out. They gave me the average amount of the, the loans. They gave me the default rate. Wow. And and then the total principal lent for those loans. So one thing that I found that I don't think anyone had is that this is a $280 million industry in the state of Utah, and that's really small. That's tiny. Yeah. I mean, when you look at revolving credit and non-revolving credit, that's like $6 billion and $10 billion respectively. Yeah. So this is a small market. So, so talk to me um, about are they friend or foe? I mean, in your research, what, what do you see? And I guess first teach us what is a payday loan? How does it work? Is it more fee-based? I mean, it's really fee-based, but you use that fee to calculate what's the interest rate on this. So if I borrow $100, I'm going to pay a fee. Of, I'm going to pay that $100 back after two weeks or a month, depending on my paycheck. And uh, I'll pay a fee of $15 on average. Okay. Now – $15 for $100, that sounds like for a small amount of time and a small loan, not a crazy amount. That adds up to a 400% interest, right? It's a 15% interest rate on two weeks or a month. You, you right. spread that over a year, that, that adds up to a 400% interest rate. But something they say in this industry is that's like quoting a hotel room price at an annual rate. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit misleading. Right. But on the other hand, it is a fee for a loan that's pretty expensive. Is it – It's and they're usually short-term loans. Do you know what percentage of people actually complete – I mean pay off their loan with, within those two weeks or how many are really carrying the – So I, I don't remember this number, but I do remember there there is rollover on these loans. There are limits as to how long that they can roll over the loans. So if I don't pay it back after a month, I think it can be rolled over a certain number of times. 
but there are limits on that. And then one thing I also found is in this industry, there's a pretty high default rate. Oh, really? So a lot yeah. of people don't pay them back. So it's actually a very expensive loan for these payday lenders to make. It's a risky loan. Yeah. So one one reason we find that the interest rates are so high is because it's a risky market to be in. It's, it's like a junk bond. Mm-hmm. And it's... And it's apparently uh, valuable enough to keep building these these check places all over. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, we even had a guest recently that said they're now moving more to suburbs and places. They used to be kind of inner city things, but now they're moving everywhere as more and more people are struggling, you know, making it paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and I think the big ones are are going more to an online presence as well. There are way to, ways to do this online, make it easy. But really, this is. It's also serving a need for a community. I guess one of the things that they're, they're always kind of termed predator, uh, they're predators because they seem to be supposedly chasing minorities and lower income people. Is that is that accurate or are they just serving the need? I mean, that was, need that was one of the main things I was looking at. In, in the study that I did, uh, we looked at what are the things that determine where they locate and what are the things that determine how high an interest rate they have? And, and we looked at location. We did find that they locate in zip codes where they have, on average, more non-married households, uh, more pawn shops. They locate. Yeah. There's some complementarity there between right. payday lenders and pawn shops. But income was interesting. We found that they locate more toward middle income, like $50,000 a yeah, year. Yeah, interesting. Income. So less – on the poorer side of that and also less on the richer side of that. Right in that middle, I guess, where we're struggling, the middle, the middle income. Yeah, I think that would be a good way to say it. And, um, but it's the thing – the interesting thing there is it wasn't poor people. And I, I anecdotally, as I would talk to these different uh, payday lenders as I'm gathering this data – Anecdotally, that's what they kind of said. And also, they locate in areas that have more restaurants, which suggests that they want to be in areas that are more commercial. Hmm. Uh, With regard to interest rates, I found that they actually – so what are the things that are correlated with higher interest rates across the state of Utah? Um, Higher interest rates, when there are fewer other lenders in the area, they have higher interest rates. So competition actually pushes these prices down. Uh, Not surprisingly, the higher default rates there are, the higher interest rates you have. Um, Also found that interest rates are higher in areas that have fewer black people. So race is often – So it's not about the race. There's no evidence of that. For the interest rate. There's no evidence of that for the interest rate. Yeah. That's interesting. So because one of the big things that's been happening is uh, governments, state governments, city governments are starting to ban locations where these can, where these organizations can go, even trying to do whatever they can to keep them out because they've always been seen as predators. Yeah, a lot of states have interest rate caps that you can't have annual interest rates above like 32 percent or something. And that, that kills payday lenders. Well, yeah, that, that takes – that's – yeah. Then, then that's not even going to be there for the people. So I guess if it's – they are serving a purpose, uh, helping people float their lives financially for one more week or two more weeks. But they are – they're being compensated for it. But you're saying not more than the market would demand. Yeah. In fact, I i mean this is not information that I could publish. And they, uh, But I did for one of the companies see their uh, annual profits over a 10-year period and – 
And so I actually can't verify how, how valid these numbers were, but they, they were showing me and trying to educate me about the industry. They were saying, look, our profits aren't even – they're in line with the standard S&P 500 company. Hmm. And yeah, you'd it, think they'd just be raking it in. Yeah, and they're not. I mean, what I did find is it's an expensive loan to make. They don't have the same recourse as banks do. Banks actually have a little collateral on you and me, right? We we have our our uh, our paychecks get deposited there, and we get a lot of services from the bank. So if we right. overdraw our account, um, if I if I never put money back in the bank, they they have ways to to get that money back. Um, payday lenders have to go to small claims court. And oh. this is actually one of the arguments against payday lenders that they're predatory, that in small claims court, uh, they end up exacting a bunch of fees out of the borrowers that default. And this is something I, I haven't looked into as, as closely. I know this is one of the arguments against them. But um, if that were the case, if that were the only thing that made them predatory, it seemed like seems like then the answer is to reform the the default process yeah, how you pay get... their lenders the same options that banks have. Why don't um, why don't banks do payday loans? Oh, that's a really interesting one. They've tried and failed, and I think it's because it's a very small niche market that's hard to collect on. It's yeah. a very high risk, and it, banks have found it not profitable. In 2011, banks' main profit centers were on these fees hmm. that you and I get if if we overdraw our accounts. Yeah. Or if, and those fees end up being um, – those little fees end up being really profitable for banks. They had a very hard time trying to offer things similar to payday lenders. Yeah. And uh, that's interesting. Like what's the alternative? Should should government offer lower interest rate loans for poor people if we don't like what payday lenders are doing? Well, that that's the, that's almost seems like what they're trying to do is by legislating the percentages, then you're saying the government's going to tell you how to how to loan your money out. Yeah. So when but you're going to not be profitable, so you'll go out of business. Yeah. When the when the percentages get legislated like that, the industry just goes away. Yeah. And and there's. I did look at the literature on this. A lot of authors had done experiments looking at states in which they capped the interest rate and payday lenders went away and they looked at different measures of welfare and there was kind of mixed reviews. In some states, I think North Carolina, they saw that um, there were some worse outcomes from hmm. uh, individuals in those brackets that typically used payday loans and in some other studies, they found some better outcomes. So I, I don't know if the evidence yeah. is clear there yet either. Well, let's continue the discussion with Dr. Richard Evans from uh, Brigham Young University. He's a professor of economics here and we're walking through payday loans and he has studied uh, these payday loan uh, programs and is uh, here to teach us what what we really um, I guess to to in, inform us. I think a lot of us we we hear all of the facts that they're these are predatory. If you keep borrowing and you don't pay back your loans, you're going to have up to a 400 percent interest rate uh, annually. And um, but Rick's been teaching us something really cool. I think that it's maybe not about um, there. There's more to this than just fixing it. The government, let's say, steps in, fixes it by saying we're going to cap percentages that they can that they can charge for interest. But you're saying that would inevitably put these businesses out of business because they need it's it's a fee-based business. It's not an they're not doing it by interest rate. They're doing it by 
fees, right? Yeah, but it, I mean, it is an implied interest rate. And we've seen this in other states that when a state puts a limit of, say, 32%, you can't charge more than 32% annual percentage rate on a loan, these companies go out of business. And, and the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Are, if, they're, if they're predatory, that's a great sure, thing. Sure, get rid of them. Uh, it's not clear that they're predatory. And, and predatory meaning targeting minority communities. Um, in a lot of the research you've read, you're saying they don't necessarily show that they're targeting minority communities. They are targeting income brackets. Seems like it. Yeah, but I mean – People that need money. They're, they're predatory in that – are they predatory in that they're targeting middle income uh, areas? I mean right. I, I don't know. Well, I mean that's what's funny. They're not targeting poor people. Yeah, they're not – I mean because again, poor people aren't a good ROI for them. <laughs> That's Middle right. income people are the best return on the investment. That's right. Because they'll pay the loans back. I mean everybody every business does that. They, they target their um they target their their key market whatever that may be. And we see this with payday lenders. I mean you, you brought up the question uh if they go away is that a good thing or a bad thing? One thing we have seen banks have not been able to profitably offer this loan product and they've tried. Uh there, it's been suggested by some policymakers that, well, why don't we offer government loans, low interest rate loans? My prediction would be that the government would lose a lot of money on oh, those yeah. loans. Well, and I mean, we've, we, we're not good at loans. No, we're not. That's right. I mean, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, I mean, we struggled. It's caused problems. Now, in the United States, we are professionals at, at loans in the sense that I think we borrow and spend quite a bit, yeah. both, both individually and at the government level. Uh, is that a bad thing? Is it too much? Seems like we maybe do borrow a little too much, yeah. from, in my opinion, and and seems like financial markets say that a little bit. Um, but does the government know better than I do about how, when I should borrow and when I shouldn't? That's, well, that's a key question. That really is, and because the minute the governments are, are getting in and, and mandating, you know, interest rates, mandating these things. I mean, if the banks aren't going to take it, it just seems like to me banks and financial institutions would be better at managing this than the federal government. The federal government, I guess, could create a law or a statute of how they need to run, I guess. But I guess what we're also saying is if they put the wrong or a low, too low of an interest rate, then the businesses aren't going to exist anyway. And then what happens? So what happens if all payday loans were gone? You know, if there's a demand for that type of lending, my prediction would be that something else would pop up. I mean, Another the U.S. Version. market is pretty innovative. There's always people looking to start a business, looking to fulfill demand, looking to make some money. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of the U.S. economy. I think we're the best in the world at that kind of innovation. Uh, but we also know that there are predatory businesses, predatory practices. So you want to just kind of make sure people are safe. In cases where there's a market failure, you want the, the government to regulate or take care of that. It's not clear that there's a market failure in the payday lending industry. And in particular, Utah was a great laboratory for me because Utah is one of the least regulated states. Hmm. And so we could look at the data in a way that was pretty much unencumbered or undistorted by by – by regulation, and and it, we didn't find a lot of evidence for predatory practices. And so it's funny because we hear the terms predatory practices, yet, like you're saying, we didn't find a lot of evidence for it. Um, and 
if it was as lucrative as everyone thought it was, um, the banks for sure would be in it. Credit cards would – or uh, um, credit unions would probably be jumping on it. I would even think the big, big grocery chains would be doing it. That's just right. Because people are already there and needing 100 bucks to pay for the groceries. But it's – so it, there must not – either it's highly regulated everywhere else or there's just not the money in it that everyone would think there is. Yeah, I would suspect it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean we do have examples of things in the United States where the government steps in and, and fixes a problem. I think Social Security is a great example where the government actually saves for my retirement and it's essentially yeah. saying you can't save for your retirement well enough. We've got to step in and there's there's a – I think the data suggested at least to some degree that that was true, that people – are more willing to save tomorrow than today and so we end mm -hmm. up not having enough savings when we, we get older. And so it, it ends up performing some safety net function due to a behavioral thing that we have. Uh, if that's the case with payday lending, we should be very specific about what are the areas in which we feel like this market is not serving people, is hurting people. And if we identify those kind of things, those are the pieces that need to be regulated. Yeah. I haven't seen good um, – very good evidence of, of that type of analysis. Yeah, maybe it's more symbolic. We're, we're taking these predator loan people and we're going to regulate them. But it just seems like they're still serving a need. What should people do if they're $100, $200 under budget? They don't have the money to pay the rent. I don't know. Like over your lifetime, have you ever borrowed money from your parents? Um, like I, yeah, I just – most scary. people – right? <laughs> most people have – when they've hit a financial snag, have had to borrow money from someone, yeah. uh, their parents or uh, floated something on their credit card. What do you do when you don't have any of those things around? I mean there's got to be something. You, yeah. you can just starve. Well, you can lose your house. Credit you can, card. Right, so people, a lot of people, just get the credit card and they just keep giving themselves the loan, and then they go take the loan to the big credit card company, which will charge you twenty percent. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Credit cards function in much the same way as sovereign debt, right? Government debt yeah. for large countries, and it's just if you miss a payment, you get a mark on your credit score. If a country misses a payment. They get dinged in international bond markets and, mm. and there's – that's actually a nice market mechanism to incentivize people not to default. Yeah. Like we used to put people in debtor's prison. We don't have to do that anymore because there are other market mechanisms that that punish you and me enough for doing that that, that on, on average, most people don't default. Yeah. As an economist, it, do you – We've talked about it earlier. Are we educated enough on this? I mean, we talk STEM, we talk STEM education, all of these different things, all of these rules you have to meet as a school, a criteria to meet. But in reality, we are—I don't think our kids have a clue about finance and interest, and and yet they—they'll come to school their first semester and be picking up credit cards at the store. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't think we're ever educated enough, and in this area, it seems like we might be going in the wrong direction. And I think it has to do with how patient we are, how 
how willing people are to forego consumption today in order to have more tomorrow yeah. is savings. seems like uh, we're more focused on immediacy and uh, less willing to save. Uh, but again, does the government know better than I do when I should be saving and when I should be consuming? It's, yeah. That's a hard case that's to That's the make. issue, huh? Because you don't – we want government out of our business until we're getting shafted by a payday loan company. Yeah. I mean, It's no, a real predator. I, I'm not a libertarian. I think there's a lot of role for government. There are market failures. There, there are places where mm-hmm. government uh, programs and spending actually help us out. I just think it, it ought to be clearly justified in the cases when it does. Well, and there's also times we've wholly relied on them in our markets to protect and they weren't asleep at the will. That's right. Ugh. And now payday loans. Okay, give us one more bit of advice. So um, if you were uh, middle income, single mom, three kids, need 300 bucks, parents on round, do you do a payday loan? Oh, man, that's a really hard question. I, but, I mean, if, let's if that say were my, weeks, if that weeks, my only option. Two weeks, we'll pay it off. Yeah, if that were my only option, I borrowed two hundred dollars. I pay thirty dollars at the end. I it it smoothed out some frictions that I would have missed some payments for my kids' expenses at the school. Um, yeah, I'd take a payday loan. On the other hand, there there are probably examples of people who uh, are just using these loans habitually, getting in a hole, mm-hmm. getting in a, a, a debt hole. I, that's not unique to the payday lending market. No, right. no, that happens in credit cards. Exactly. That happens in home mortgages. I mean. So there's nothing there's what, nothing unique there. What wouldn't you I mean are there certain things you uh, that makes more sense to put on a payday loan? Um well the things rent, that don't make sense is, yeah. is you, you don't want to put it for just kind of discretionary spending. Yeah, to buy that new pair of shoes. Yeah. But again, that goes for credit cards. Yeah. That goes for uh larger loans, you know, car loans. Uh you know, you don't want to add too much. I don't want to get this souped up stereo beyond the means that my income can right. support. Just, I guess, you know, save and then buy. <laughs> save right. and buy. And then, but again, there are so many that are just paycheck to paycheck. But um, interesting. Well, we appreciate you. It's great uh, insight, I think, for all of us. Uh, Dr. Rick Evans, again, professor of economics at Brigham Young University. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot, Matt. Great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, Trey Gowdy, one of the uh, congressional leaders, really, in Congress. Best hair in Congress. Best hair and best, I think, (laughs) attitude. The dude is a tough attorney, kind of like a a prosecutor. He just loves to, like, go take you down if you're committing a crime. But he's now saying he's not going to – He's not going to run again. He's not playing the game. Right. He's decided he's not going to run. He's been in there for six or seven years. Yeah. That's well, what a lot of people uh, people were shocked by were that. Were shocked when he a said that. A delayed shock, really. Yeah, totally. He was on uh, CBS's Face the Nation, 
and uh, they've asked him about why he wasn't going to run. He goes, when asked why he believes himself to, he calls him, he goes, my wife hates it when I say this, but I was a pretty good prosecutor, I think. Yeah. But I'm a pretty lousy politician. They asked him why he thinks that. And the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee says he sees multiple sides of a single issue because he's a prosecutor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? He goes, and the fact that someone disagrees with me does not make me cha- challenge their love for the country. Hmm. Ah, see, yeah. It doesn't make me believe that they're corrupt. I've got a lot of friends on the other side of the aisle. So he can't be a politician in the current situation because if they disagree with you, then you need to challenge their love of the country and believe that they're corrupt because they can't. They believe something else. Yeah. And he just well, – maybe they're an American with a different opinion? Isn't that interesting? So he has to, he, he can't be in this industry because he sees things multiple ways. Right. You have to have so he's more mono focus. He's more moderate, yeah. In his view, yeah. And you can't win that way. I heard someone ex- describe it as you just get steamrolled if you're a moderate. Oh boy! Because everything's so polarized that you can't get any legislation through. Uh, they'll, they'll block you on with your influence on committees and things of that nature because they don't want your evil moderation <laughs> to be in the your, middle. They your want, type. Yeah. That is tragic. And there's a book called The Death of Democracy. And they're talking about not necessarily anything currently, but kind of in the general sense, democracy falls apart when we start seeing the uh, we start start seeing other people from our country as enemies because they have a different idea or a different opinion. Mm. And the, and that's we, where uh, polarization tears democracies apart because there's no cooperation. This is what we teach all the time. You got to have this open mindedness. You got to see life from other perspectives. You never notice any politician admitting that they're a lousy politician while they're still in office. No, that's a rare one. Well, you want to win your next election. That's probably right. not the best message. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not understand that? But well, it's kind of like he's saying, I fooled you all. I was horrible. But you elected me. Yeah. But yeah. Multiple times. Neener, neener. Wow. Crazy stuff. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, come back to some more news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hopefully helping you be open-minded as we uh, go through this crazy world we live in. That is a great line. Mowage. By the way, I uh, I used to officiate at weddings. Really? Yeah, back in the day. And oh, wow. don't do that anymore. But when I did officiate, I would always throw that line in there. Mowage. So part part of your uh, other career, yeah. Matt, you uh, you counsel couples. Yes. Going through some troubles. Maybe yes. they just need a little bit of so, uh, an extra, extra voice to kind of give them an idea about where their relationship, how to strengthen things. Starting in 2019, for the first time in 77 years, alimony won't be deductible for U.S. taxpayers thanks to the Republican tax plan overhaul passed in December. Hold on. Alimony won't be deductible? No. That means that the new tax law could soon lead to a surge of married couples calling it quits, political reports citing divorce lawyers. Now is not the time to wait, said uh, Mary Avitas, a former chairwoman of the American Bar Association Family Law Section. If you're going to get a divorce, get it now. For wealthy divorcees, especially the deduction 
uh, the deduction meant they could pay roughly 60 cents for every dollar of alimony. Divorce lawyers say the change in the tax law could lead to more contentious divorce cases and lower alimony payments when it kicks in, disproportionately hurting women. But uh, ending the deduction is also projected to raise $6.9 billion over 10 years, helping defray the $1 trillion uh, cost of the tax bill itself. I did not know this. Couples have all of 2018 to use the alimony deduction as a bargaining chip in their negotiations with estranged spouses, Politico says. But some states, the clock starts running down faster thanks to cooling off periods of up to six months. So it's kind of weird depending on the math. But yeah, alimony is not deductible anymore after 2019. Wow. That is actually a really big deal. But by the way, also that's a a divorce attorney right there. I know, I know. Don't go get divorced because (laughs) alimony payments. Also, uh, states are doing this, but I I know here in the state of Utah, they just put a uh, bill into committee at the state legislature to make it mandatory to get pre-marriage counseling. Yeah, yeah. So there's more work that Matt could have. Yes! Except I don't know what that is. Is there a limit on how much you could charge? Is it worth your while? I mean, I think you just have to go through and say that. You tried. Do you have to worry about maybe some sort of reimbursement from the state if it's state mandatory that you have to do these things? No, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't because they already have that um, where you basically they you now have a 90 day waiting period. You have, right. but the reality is is it doesn't matter. I mean, the idea of education is a great thing if you really are wondering what you should do. Yeah. But a lot of the people I've seen by that point they are they've already made their decision. Right. So. It's not like more education is going to help anything. So There is a mandatory like divorce class in Utah too that you have to take yep. to talk to your kids, how to handle that. And that is actually really? pretty mind-blowing. I didn't know that. If you're going to divorce, you go through this class and they basically just show you the impact of divorce. Every state should have one. Come on. And good leadership by the state of Utah. If you want to make uh, one of the most important institutions of our country, our world, our community is the family, and you got to take care of it, preserve it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and happy post-Super Bowl Sunday to you. You didn't call in sick. I didn't. Good for you. I didn't do it. Yeah, no, I uh, I feel a little weird, I'll tell you. Really? But I don't know, I don't know if it's just, you know, overcoming Super Bowl Sunday. You know, know. You know it would be horrible what? if you had, you have all these people calling in sick. Yeah. What if somebody called in sick? They weren't sick, and they didn't watch the Super Bowl. Oh, what kind of person? That's just selfish. Well, I mean, that's or like, it's just sick. That's like if you're capable of growing a full head of hair and you shave your head, <laughs> what is wrong with you? You're a tease. You're a tease. <laughs> you're a hair tease. Uh, it was a great game. If you didn't watch the game, you missed a doozy. Um, if, really, I, I was enthralled because I did not. I was voting for the Eagles, fighting for them, didn't quite believe they could do it really well part of it is because i didn't watch a lot of eagles games this year okay but they were good man they were good with their backup quarterback yeah that's got to be so what happens to him now is he is he on contract long term with them 
Well, long term for the NFL, might have a year or two left, but it's backup quarterbacks. You go in and have a wonderful showing, and then Great. you'll end up on another team because they'll see your performance and go, "Wow!" And then you show up to the other team, yeah. and yeah, most of the time they don't perform as quite as well as they mm. do. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Brigham Young University had Kyle Vannoy, who was playing on the Patriots, mm-hmm. and. He did a great job. It just wasn't a big defensive day. It was what, an offensive day. What position does he play? Linebacker. And that's the guy oh, that... He, has, uh, he had the first tackle of the game, I think. Stands in the back of the line? How do, who is the uh, linebacker? He stands kind of in the middle of the field and then kind of tries to stop the running backs and break through the line. And Was he like a first-string player or was yeah. he... Oh, wow. Started. That's awesome. Bad to the bone. First tackle. Did you see that little neck tackle? The the running back for the Eagles ran first play of the game from yeah. scrimmage was a, I think a nice little run oh. and Vanoy I may have been eating pizza I'm not sure neck tackled <laughs> it was it was just a great game but um, first plays of the game I usually don't pay attention because why yeah they're all getting settled in yeah I mean there was field goals traded the Eagles had a touchdown I think they missed the extra point is that how that worked yeah. So. That was weird. Forty-one thirty-three was the final score, yep. and we didn't talk about this last hour. But I don't, I can't believe we really didn't. Justin Timberlake. What about him? What do you think? My the, the ladies. I was I was with a lot of women last night. Right. They loved it. Really. They, they wow. were enthralled. And then he pulls out the little trolls number. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. All the you kids gotta hit go with, crazy. You got to end with the crowd pleaser. That was beautiful. I was telling you in the in the break we. Uh, me and my – I was at my brother's house. His wife, my wife were all watching this and then they, all the kids are in the basement. And once they kicked into the troll song, my wife yelled for the kids to come upstairs and then there's five, six kids bouncing <laughs> around the house going nuts. Because that's the song they know yeah. from the movie. All the other songs were like, all right, that's – okay. He was very safe. Didn't yeah, take any very risks. Safe. Did he use the hologram of Prince or no the, hologram? There was a hologram of was Prince. It, it, was, it was more of a – They had a sheet and they projected yeah. a picture They wanted a real hologram But it wasn't like a Prince. performing hologram. No, no. Okay. no, it was him, I think, singing – It was sort of like a duet with yeah. – Prince. But apparently that created some problems. Some people were mad that he did that for some why? reason. Now, why? Now why? Oh, oh, because Prince distinctly didn't want anything like that done. Oh, so but, it was against. But his he wishes. still gets paid. His estate still gets yeah. paid, right? Right. They, maybe they just wanted to be paid more. But they did then too light up. Uh, and I don't know how that worked. But computers, it wasn't. Real. Oh, it wasn't. Real? Minnesota did not turn purple, and they didn't drop the the Prince symbol on this Minneapolis. Oh, they a, didn't do the whole city of Minneapolis. It was a computer. But, Isn't yeah. it disappointing when somebody just opens up? that curtain and you see all the secrets yeah there's some director truck back there yeah. and a bunch of people are pushing like, buttons Ooh, the stadium's purple now the city's purple yeah. <laughs> that would have been cool so he took no risks yeah and as I, uh, online reviews were saying the only risk he took was in his wardrobe yeah as he was wearing some gray white it was like mix, ca- it, it looks like other. camo yeah it was like a T-shirt. It was a shirt and I pants. I thought it was camo. But for middle Americans, that's that looked great. Like the it was fine. The, the the all the states where everyone's. I mean, fifty percent of the people love hunting and now he's got a fishing new, and he's got a new video out. And I was worried he was going to try to bring this song into it. It just came out like the last couple of days, but it's called "Man in the Woods." Oh yeah, because he just has a new album he put out just the other day to coincide with him being on the Super Bowl. So "Man in the Woods," but it's 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 him talking about him and his wife. Hmm. And then he like reaches into the camera because the whole time he's talking to the camera. Oh, and then halfway through he reaches in and pulls his wife like from the camera. Oh wow, for then... real, like Jessica Biel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So for it's him. it's an it's an interesting approach to a video. It's a very odd choice for him because it's not something you normally see him do. Yeah, 
And it's kind of comical. There's like things falling down and some no end sync at the no, halftime show. Oh, that's that. disappointing. Yeah, it was. Um, there was actually no other artists. It wasn't like other than well, Prince. Pink, and Pink, Pink well, sang the national there. anthem. Apparently, the, she had the flu. Yeah, she wasn't feeling. By the way, I totally get how she feels. And then right before she started, she like looked like she pulled out gum. Might have been like yeah, a loss or a, something. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that was kind of funny. Like, the, oh, <laughs> that, national moment. <laughs> Something's in your mouth. Oops. The hard thing is they're just people, right? Yeah. And they are professionals. But but it's, the rest it's, of us love to criticize, so yeah. we will. No, and I, I think – At nauseum. And I, I love damaging. Pink. I mean she's outrageous at times, but she's super she, talented. She did it pretty straight. There yeah. was no like over-the-top moments. I was waiting for people to go nuts because she might have had some creative license with the yeah. national anthem. China, she, but, she, and she said, you know, I had the flu, for heaven's sakes. What do you want me to do? We actually got there a little early to the to the well, to watch the game so that my wife could see Pink. She's going to go see her in concert later this year. She She's really? a little excited about Pink's that. Pink's got some great music. I know I a lot of Pink. I, see, I know more Pink songs than I knew Justin Timberlake's. I can't name one of her songs. You can't? Well, there's a song about Mr. President hmm. that she sang to George W. Bush, if you remember. Was it positive, negative? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it was, was both. <laughs> it depends what side you're on. Uh, but she she's great. But Justin, I wish I had. I wish I knew more of the, his songs. There's a thing. It's called um, YouTube. Now tell me about this. And then you can pair that with another service called Wikipedia, uh-huh. where if you look up his name and you click on discography. Uh. Then you click on singles, and you can see all of his popular songs and put those into YouTube and listen to his songs. I'm telling you how to do this. Can't stop the feeling. Sounds you know like, can't stop no, the feeling. That, that was the only sexy one I Sexy back. Mm-mm. Do you know anybody with a sexy back? No, no. he's bringing it back as if it Oh, lasts. I see. Bringing it back. He's like making it great By the again. way, that, I've seen a lot of hairy backs. I have, <sighs> I have that song. I have no idea how it's on my phone, but I have that song you just mentioned. I don't want to say the words. Wow. Oh. Even I have though they've that already song been said on my on my phone, but I don't. Every time it comes on, I'm like, click. Interesting. I just don't. It doesn't ring my bell like other songs. There's do. a song called "Ring Your Bell." It's from. I would sing Dr. that Dre, though, when so. I was on my mission trip, and we we were going knocking on people's door. But it was the old disco "Ring My Bell." Oh, you can ring my bell. Yeah. So if, Dr. If you, Dr. Dre remixed it. If any of you out there in listener land were wondering what the LDS okay. missionaries are we're doing on their it. way to your door. <laughs> well, you got to do something to, to keep up morale and keep in your Russian. spirits up. Yeah. So that was pretty exciting, uh, plus some really interesting ads. Not as many as I thought. Mm. Um, and if you if you are saying, why aren't we I, talking politics, I let's like, just let you know Nikki Haley loved the halftime show. Yeah, she thought it was great. <laughs> After the Grammys and she complained. Yeah. Uh, the Tide ads were interesting. Yeah. He just sort of just kept popping up all over the place going, it's a Tide ad, and Who, then moved wait, on. Wait, who is he? The guy from uh, Stranger Things, the, the cop. Oh, David Harbour? There you go. So he, he yeah. was – and it was like – it wasn't just one 30-second. No. It was like – they were like 10 seconds, some were 30, and they just were inter- – all throughout the entire broadcast. Well, and He then, just would pop up and go, it's a tight ad. Then the old on. Spice guy was on one of them with him he was on a the, horse that was yeah. too long. They're like a double-seater horse. <laughs> He's double a football player horse. himself, right? I have no idea. Is he still doing those ads? He was. He did a Tide ad, but almost in the persona of the men in or the it, Old Spice. Is guy. it the original Old Spice guy? That, I think it I'm is. on a horse. I think it, no, and he was on a horse. They were on a horse at one point. Yeah, but he's it was a, a former, double seater horse. He's oh. a former football player. 
Was he? There's a lot of that out there. Uh, and it's fitting because it was a football game. Hey, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Anything else, Terry, we should be paying attention to? A week after Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee voted along party lines to release the classified memo compiled for Representative David Nunez of California and not release the classified rebuttal written for the committee's top Democrat uh, Republic, or, uh, Republican uh, no Representative Adam Schiff, the Democrat. Schiff is pushing for a do-over today. Hopefully this evening, the Mm. four-page Nunez memos purports to show that the FBI improperly omitted the political origins of a dossier used to obtain a FISA warrant to surveil surveil former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. It's all confusing, right? The Democrat response is 10 pages. Oh, boy, that's a big... And it says it shoots down all the assertions made in the Republican document. Mm Mm-hmm. So they want that release. So even though Republicans blocked the shift memo last week, so they voted and they released the Republican memo, but they decided not to release the Democratic memo because, you know, why do we need that out there? (laughs) the uh, they're, they're, even though they've done that, House Speaker Paul Ryan has suggested they, that he now favors releasing the Democrats' memo so long as any sensitive national security information is redacted. Okay. Which I don't know if the memo the memo the Republicans released went through the White House, but I don't know if anyone actually looked at it, like FBI, Justice Department, who usually does right. that kind of a right. screening, right. except they're the topic of the Republican memo. Where See, the Democratic memo, it's more they're being defended. Yeah. Well, so I and, don't know how all this works. Well, and apparently, it, in a weird way, it still will come down to the White House to decide yes. after five days if they want to release the Democrats. So the same memo. rules apply. The memo gets through the committee. Then it uh, then President Trump has five days to object. He signed off on releasing the Republican memo. And if he does, the full House could overrule him if he chooses to release yeah. the Democratic memo. Now, he said he would. But people, you know, things change, like, in a blink of an eye. So well, that could get blocked because, you know, it's not really supporting the narrative. That By the way, wants. does this not say exactly what we all think? It says that this is politics with our national security. Yes, which is what it already is. So Why are we doing Just this? release the memo. The memo is, uh, again, they're saying there's more memos, though. So there's not just one memo. They're saying there's memos across from various agencies. This Nunez guy from the, oh, I've got a memo. You've got a memo. So he says my memo's the, bigger than all your these, memo. There's other memos, um, as many as maybe five, including the FBI, a broader Justice Department memo, a State Department memo, Holy and other cow. departments, all showing wrongdoing. Yeah. yeah. Republicans close to Nunez says there could be as many five additional memos reporting of wrongdoing. Others are saying this they they won't be released. They're not even thinking about it. But there's more memos. So. This seems like smokescreen. Uh-huh. Because meanwhile, Mueller's still mulling it over, doing his thing. Trucking along. And nobody knows exactly what Mueller knows. No. Not even these great supposed secret committees. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, but they all have memos. Yeah. And they all fight over the memos. With March 5th deadline looming for finding a legislative answer for people uh, with the DACA, yeah, and they're brought here as kids. They're not citizens, but do we send them back after twenty years? How does this work? Senators are reportedly considering a temporary fix that will put the issue off for another year. Oh boy! According to Politico, that may be where we're headed because you know Congress is pretty dysfunctional, says uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. Yeah, it is. 
So this would be their way of dodging it through the 2018 election. calendar and Just election. get it past the election. On Monday, Senator John McCain and Senator Chris Coons from Dem- Delaware, a Democrat from Delaware, planned to introduce a bipartisan immigration legislation that would de- give deferred action for childhood arrival recipients a pathway to citizenship, although Politico claims the approach is likely not to do the trick yeah. and to get voted down. The government partially shut down after Democrats insisted they couldn't agree on a budget unless DACA was addressed. With the budget deadline coming up again on Thursday of this week, Senator Dick Durbin told CNN, I don't see a government shutdown coming, but I do see a promise by Senator Mitch McConnell to finally bring this critical issue that affects the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in America, finally bringing it to a full debate. That's huh. that's where he goes. That's what we were looking for when there was a shutdown. We've achieved that goal. We're moving forward. Wow. So the whole point of the shutdown was just to get the debate, or did they want to get something accomplished? Yeah, that's... What was the reason they shut the government down for 48 hours? That might not be a great reason to shut the government down. And now because everyone's scared. they still scared. aren't having a debate, really. Now they're scared if you shut the government down, that's going to reflect badly on the election in yeah. November. Yeah. No, it will. I think what we all ought to do, let's not vote any incumbent back in Ooh. if they don't vote on some of this stuff before... 28 before november i like that no so, you're not saying pass something just yes or no vote on i something. want some votes just vote i want to know where that. people stand yeah you okay. gar- i can guarantee you if their jobs were on the line they would make yeah, it everyone happen. would vote yeah i mean and let, that's you know so you want no a, incumbent you want a functioning government is what you're talking about yeah oh, like oh, old, i mean it's old school don't that get might me be wrong. too too much to ask for man <laughs> Oh, boy. And finally, researchers have identified the ruins of more than 60,000 houses, palaces, elevated highways, and other human-made features that have been hidden for centuries under the jungles of northern Guatemala. Really? Using, it's called LIDAR, which is light detection and ranging. It's... It's it's radar, basically. Scholars digitally removed the tree canopy from aerial images of the now unpopulated landscape, revealing the ruins of sprawling pre-Columbian civilization that was far more complex mm. and interconnected than most Mayan specialists had oppo- or supposed. Central America supported an advanced civilization that was, at its peak some 1,200 years ago, more comparable to sophisticated cultures such as ancient Greece or China than to the scattered and sparsely populated city-states that ground-based research had long suggested. So Uh they thought it was this other situation, but they're actually big cities, big populations. Can you imagine, like, uncovering that and hacking away at all the vines and the weeds and the covered-up... LIDAR images show raised highways connecting urban centers and quarries, complex irrigation and uh, terracing systems supporting intensive agriculture capable of feeding massive workers, population estimates for the Mayan civilization peak, this would be AD 250 through 900, Hmm. were around 5 million. New data shows there may have been 10 to 15 million, including many low-lying swampy areas that looked uninhabitable but have structures now that they've been able to find them. The thing that supports them is the LIDAR takes the the, the foliage and stuff away, and then they go on the ground, and there's a National Geographic actually has a show on this Tuesday night. Mm, Somebody hit a nerve. Got it set up. But it's got like a a guy standing there with an iPad, and he's got like some uh, uh, like – Virtual reality type. Yeah, um, like an app. Augmented reality. Yeah. It's an app. And they load all the data they pull from the radar system they're using. And then he's like spanning the jungle. And you see a hill covered in green. But then in the LIDAR, it shows like a, a temple, temple underneath, pyramid like a pyramid looking building. 
And he goes, look at all this. And you just pan it around. There's, he's surrounded by buildings. But when he pulls it down, yeah. you look around. It's trees and just like big mounds of No, that's how it was in Cancun, mm. too. And then they, they have to just slowly clean it out. And then all of a sudden, you've got these incredible pyramids. So now they have 60,000 structures they have to go look now, around and uh, see what's there. See, they're ruining a good word, LIDAR. I've told my children I have LIDAR, which is where I can detect their lies. Oh, yeah. Mm. And now I've got to explain, and I can also detect when there's a city hidden away in a hill. It's interesting because it doesn't seem to work whenever I do mat libs with you, which we mm. have coming up here. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, because, yeah, well, you're a great liar. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. Okay, so let's get to the little uh, mat libs, little like I'm not trying to demean it. Let's get – try to stump me. Okay. If you can. No, you can say little Matt Libs because then, you know, it will just make it seem like you are little. It's uh, totally. So true. I'm going to give you the sentence here, the okay. first – the headline of, your, of the story. Yes. And uh, you tell me which is the correct Let me grab a napkin to write on. An Alabama man is facing a domestic violence charge after a disagreement with his brother over – Yes. A, and there are only five choices this oh, time. Good. So we're, we're getting, getting a little yeah. easier. A, a piece of cheesecake. Okay. B, the new solo trailer. Okay. C, Marvel versus DC. Oh, okay. D, DACA. Or E, the thermostat. Oh, okay. What, what city are we in again? This is Alabama. Alabama. Okay. So I am going to go with um, – I have two choices, and they seem obvious. Okay. Uh, but then what I will cho- – I'm going to choose uh, <laughs> A, cheesecake. That is your final answer. Yes. You did it. Oh. Cheesecake. Now, you know what my second answer would have been? What? Thermostat. Thermostat. E. Be, but then I thought, okay, then I had to think, okay, so would he put it first or last? Mm. It couldn't have been solo because that was totally in your head and Terry's head. Manual or uh, Marvel versus DC Comics, that's totally Terry conversation. DACA is something that no one fights about except in real life. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it had to be thermostat. Cheesecake, yeah. So here are the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh-huh. Police Chief Toby Banks was called to a disturbance at a residence where the half-brothers lived together. Banks said he was asked for his opinion on whether the piece of cake was big enough for a grown man. Hmm. He said he thought it was. According to court records, the older brother, 24, was still holding the butcher knife he used to cut the dessert when they began arguing about the portion size. Oh, boy. The victim told police his brother punched him in the face and busted his lip. According to the police report, the suspect told the chief they were arguing over the pie, but he only patted the victim on the face and head like a dog. Wow. Who needs a butcher knife to cut cheesecake? It's, I mean, it's very easy to cut through cheesecake. Yeah, it is. And who, who even needs to cut it? I mean, just start eating it. Yeah. I don't see the need for a knife at all. Here's another quick one. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've ever dropped off at a, a Goodwill store or a thrift store of any kind mm. that you've ever dropped off? Um, a child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to go in and buy a bowling ball. Hmm. My son buys bowling balls. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in a, in a thrift store? 
Mm. Just, I don't know, like everything that's ever been as seen on TV. Okay. Those kind of <laughs> yeah. things. I think the weirdest thing we dropped off was an entertainment center that we had purchased from that same thrift store that when we rolled it back home, discovered it was infested with termites. So we just walked it right back. Oh, By the man. way, imagine That's all horrible. the horns that we had on the way to the thrift store yeah. as we were wheeling this thing back Ugh. instead of hauling yeah. it back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, authorities say a grenade launcher loaded with a no live way. grenade yeah. was left with other donated items at a Florida Goodwill store. So the employees uh, at the store reported the weapon Sunday the Manatee County Sheriff's Office says the store manager told deputies that the grenade launcher had come in a shipment from another store several days earlier. The employees at the other location said they sent it along because they didn't know what it was. <laughs> ah, just give it to the Tampa store. They'll take it. Uh, deputies say they disposed of the active grenade in a hazmat locker, and the launcher was stored in the agency's or, uh, property room. It's not clear who donated the items. However, there is an update on this story. Turns out that this grenade launcher and uh, grenade that had to be stored in the yeah. hazmat locker was actually just a toy. Ooh. Yeah. Not a real grenade launcher. So all those all that time and all those resources you, and it was just a toy. Where do they have grenade launching toys? I don't know. Usually you're supposed to like paint it orange yeah, on right. the end so that people know that it's fake. Oh. Oh. It's, if it's it's made by airsoft. I get it. Boy, that that grenade that you hit me with, it didn't even pierce my body and blow me up. Wouldn't a good indicator be that you put it on your shoulder and uh Yeah. Wait, I'm thinking of a rocket launcher. Wouldn't I mean wouldn't the the lack of heft heft, yeah. You think wouldn't, it, wouldn't you, that clue you, you in? Be, yeah, but maybe it was. Anyway, I, mean, I don't know, those airsoft things, they look pretty real. Crazy. Well, luckily they dodged another one there. Uh hey, no pun intended, by the way. <laughs> pun actually intended. Um hey, up next, we're going to be talking about coworkers and why why it might be more important than you think to have coworkers around. It actually may help you feel less lonely. I guess it depends on the coworkers, right? More straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Question: What kind of bear is best? A ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Oh. Bears. You gotta love the office. See, this is why we all need co-workers around, right? Well, one of the workplace trends that is more common now than ever is working remotely. Although it can be a great way of cutting costs, it also brings with it its share of problems. Recent studies show that remote workers are often lonely, and this in turn hurts their productivity. In order to combat the challenges of remote work, employees are beginning to turn to co-working as a solution. Here to speak with us today about the ins and outs of co-working is Steve King, a partner and researcher at Emergent Research. Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So co-working is this term. Now, we used to talk about our co-worker, but now explain to us what co-working is. Co-working is a facility that is sort of is a shared office environment. It's kind of like a gym membership, uh, a variety of people from different companies, independent workers, freelancers, startups. 
they come together, and, and the industry calls it working alone together because most of the people aren't directly connected from a business standpoint, but they're sharing an office space. And so the office space provides uh, desk and Internet access and printers, um, and the people there work on their own projects but also work together. That's interesting. And I guess they um, they probably create a camaraderie. They they probably have a clown, somebody that is playing the practical jokes. I mean, do people go in and fill those normal roles just by nature? Uh, they do fill those normal roles by nature. But on top of that, there are people called community managers that work at most co-working spaces. And their job is to connect people within the spaces, both socially and from a business relationship standpoint. Um, drive activities, uh, they have lunches, they have parties, they have after-work get-togethers, they play sports together, soccer. And so they actually have people whose job it is, is to make the community function better uh, for the members. Like a crew, It's like a cruise director. Almost, almost. It's a very difficult job, actually. Yeah. You've, got to, you've got to learn how to how to be social with all the people, but also know that they're also there to get work done. And it's it seems strange because people were so excited, it sounds like, to work remotely because they wanted, you know, the benefits of uh, being at home, maybe being having more flexible time, working when and how they want to work. So uh, what finally drove people to, to get to this extreme now where we need co-working locations? Well, there's, there's three big problems that always come up, and we've done a lot of research with remote workers and people that work from home. And the big one we're talking about today is loneliness, but, but two others are it's, easily to be, it's easy to get distracted. Um, we hear that all the time, very hard to stay focused on their work. And, and um, oftentimes it's also uh, hard to be motivated. Yeah, which is related. And so so people find that when they go into a co-working space, the distractions go away. They they don't have to walk the dog. They don't have to do the laundry. If they have kids around, the kids aren't in the way. But on top of that, being with like-minded people who are focused on work gets them more motivated. That's interesting. So they um, even even, by the way, I guess your research says even if they're not in your same field, even if they're not doing your same job. That's correct, and a lot a lot of the benefit actually comes from meeting people that aren't in in your exact field, and so um, you find out things that you don't know, and what you don't know you don't know is often the thing that bites you in work, and so having people with different perspectives, uh, different areas, fields of expertise, suddenly as a group you're stronger. That's interesting. Does it did you did you get any data of if it's actually better? And if it's more synergistic to actually work with people that aren't of your group versus working just back at your office? Um, it's, th- there's a fair amount of data that shows mixed groups of, by experience and as well as, as by ethnic and cultural makeup, male, female. Um, the, the more diverse the group is, the more likely they are to uncover new ideas. There's, there's a fair amount of research that has shown that. Um, and so, and so, getting out and meeting new people, meeting new things, getting exposed to new ideas, getting exposed to different perspectives, definitely leads to more innovation. And a lot of large corporations now are moving their innovation teams into co-working spaces, primarily because it gets them exposed to the other people working in those spaces. Hmm. Is it? Um, it's got to be good for networking as well. 
It is. It is, uh, and and the data the data supports that. Um, we uh, we found that about 82 percent of the members who we've surveyed over the years tell us that it has expanded their business networks. Um, the interesting thing about our loneliness research is we we went at it to study business networks and we found that business networks expanded but in the research we found that people's social networks expanded even more mm. does um this just seems so counterintuitive like we used to have everybody in the office then everybody wanted the freedom to go kind of have their remote uh, access and and work remotely and now we're finding out that it's causing loneliness talk about the loneliness epidemic side of this what uh, why is lonely so dangerous Lonely is dangerous because lonely hurts your health. And there's been a number of studies that show both you're, you're much more likely to get sick and you're much more likely to actually die younger if you're lonely and or socially isolated. Those are actually two different things. Social isolation means you're not exposed to a lot of people on a regular basis. Loneliness is actually the perception that you're alone. Um, and it's interesting, you can be socially isolated and not be lonely, and you can be lonely and not be socially isolated. But both actually hurt your health. Um, and if, and if, you have, if you are both, if you're both isolated and lonely, there's even a greater risk to your health. Mm. And interestingly enough, I, I, by coincidence or maybe not, you'll have to tell me, uh, most some of the leading research yeah. on this comes out of the BYU Social Connections and Health Lab. Right. No. In fact, we've talked about it a lot here, and they even talk about the fact it's like it's the equivalent of smoking. I can't remember like two packs of cigarettes a day on your health. Yeah, or or or, or a, a fairly high level of obesity. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So this lonely, um, it, but it's 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 being lonely. Lonely is one thing, but also being socially isolated. But the combination of the two um, really dangerous. Really dangerous, and and so and so what happens is we we've wanted to work remotely because we want the flexibility, autonomy, and control that's associated with that. Um, but as we worked remotely, we discover these other problems. And the interesting thing about most co-working members only spend about half their work day um, across a full week in a co-working space. They also work from home. They okay. also, they also um, work from coffee shops. They also are mobile. And so they're, they're not at that office full time. They're, they're, they take advantage of also the the advantages of working from home, which is you can be in your pajamas as I am right now. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, I wish they'd let me do that, but I'm, I have to be here. Um, but I guess I could be here in my pajamas. Again, we're talking with Steve King, and Steve is a partner at Emergent Research, and they study the independent workforce and the impact of big data on small business. He has extensive consulting, marketing, and general management experience with uh, a lot of companies. But Steve, talk about what's the future of this then? And what are what are our corporations now saying? Is it time to like bring everyone back in because of this data? No, no. I, I, some corp- there, there are more corporations bringing certain people back in because we, we do do better in teams when it comes to innovation. And driving innovation is an important part of any corporation now. So so we're seeing companies build campuses where they are bringing people back in, but they're building different types of campuses that are more focused on social spaces and interaction active spaces and less the old cube farms that, that we're used to and everybody in a row. And so many of the the uh, 
new buildings that you'll see at corporations look a lot like co-working spaces. They, they have a lot of social activities. They're built for interactivity. But at the same time, they're letting more and more of their workers work remotely. So you have both going on at the same time, which huh. is kind of interesting. That is. What got you into this field? What, won, what made you and your organization uh, focus so deeply on this topic? Well, a big big chunk of what we do is the future of work and what it means for small businesses and, and independent workers, freelancers, independent consultants, the self-employed. And we started looking at co-working spaces uh, a decade ago, and and we were trying to understand what the appeal was. And, and um, I'm a home worker myself as well as working out of a co-working space. And so we just kind of naturally tried to understand what was going on with that, particularly given the growth of remote work and the growth of mobile work. More, more and more people spend at least some of their time working from home and so we were tr- or, or working on the road in some form. And you can see it at coffee shops, uh, you know, or very popular places in my community. If I go to a coffee shop, half the people in the coffee shop are working. Mm. And so, so we were just trying to understand as we become a more mobile workforce, as more people work remotely, what does that mean? And the good news is, you know, the freedom and flexibility and control are great. The bad news is the loneliness is a big problem. No, it really is. Do you see – what other trends do you see? So kind of mobile work, uh, any other trends you see coming down uh, the road uh, when it comes to other opportunities or other changes we will see in how and where we work? Well, uh, automation, and and, uh, it often gets talked about in terms of an – artificial intelligence, AI, um, the, the impact of that we believe is overstated, at least for the next decade or so. But work automation is happening at a very rapid place, mostly augmenting jobs. Um, so people that used to not use tools and not use uh, automation to help them or, or some form of computer-assisted help work, um, that is changing very rapidly. More and more people are getting involved with automation. That is displacing some tools. So automation certainly, automation and AI is certainly a major factor on the future of work. The other thing, though, is, is more simple. It's around demographics. Um, we're, we're aging fairly rapidly in the United States, less so than in other parts of the developed world. But, but we're in a situation where you have multiple generations in the workforce. You have a lot of older workers staying in the workforce. And those demographic shifts uh, are having a pretty major impact on how work's conducted. That's, that's interesting, too, where if, if the demographic may be aging, um, but a lot of the solutions will be technological, um, I guess they could still – the aging population could still pick up on some of this technology to stay active in the workplace while still having some form of a life. Yeah, and, and part of that is everybody has to become lifelong learners because things are changing rapidly. And so even older people have to learn how to use at least some of the technology. But younger people um, have to are facing a world where they are going to have multiple jobs and even multiple careers during their, their life, as opposed to most baby boomers had four to five jobs throughout their, their career um, and mostly stayed in the same industry and or same profession. 
people coming out of college now, they're going to be shifting a lot throughout their careers. And so lifelong learnings become very important. Mm. And it seems like this, this, a lot of this seems tied to to kind of the positive psychology movement, also the kind of the big push on happiness uh, and uh, that's connected to workplace productivity. I guess in the end, um, are these people happier that are able to, to uh, associate in a co-working environment? Independent workers in general are happier than traditional employees with their work. And members of co-working spaces tend to be happier than independent workers in general. So yes, uh, uh, the, the data shows that the co-working members uh, report higher levels of happiness. Um, happiness is a really squishy subject. Yeah, it is. Study. I, you know, we're data people, and so we kind of cringe as we study happiness. And um, there's a lot of interesting work being done by happiness. Not surprisingly, the UC Berkeley has a happiness institute, um, and they've done some, some really good work on it. But but it's a challenging thing to study. But but so far, everything indicates that yes, uh, co-working makes people happier. But they're happier because they're in a community with other people. Hmm. Um, humans, we're social creatures. We need to be around other humans. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, as we talk about this, one more question for you. Um, just what would you say is the one thing? So if if I'm sitting at home and I have kind of remote uh, work opportunities where I'm out traveling around, what can I do if I start to feel that loneliness? What are some just some guidelines, some advice you give us that would that would help me make sure I am staying connected to the people that matter? Yeah. The first thing is don't let yourself become socially isolated. And and even if you don't, even if you're in a new town, there are there are coffee shops, and so immediately you can you can you you don't have to be socially isolated. The second level is um, find some form of community to be part of. That can be volunteer work. Um, that could be a church group of some sort. That could be uh, uh, any number of things. You can join a gym. Um, anything that reduces social isolation is going to help on that level. And then the second level, as I said, is with the community, then you start to actually develop real relationships. And so even if, you're, if, if your work is isolating and make you lonely, find places where your non-work is not isolating and lonely. And then if you're in your work world, try to, try, try to just integrate more with other people. You know, my, there's enough people working remotely and working from home now. You know, in my town, there's a group of folks that, that ride bikes at lunch together. Hmm. There's another group that goes on walks. There's another group that meets every morning for breakfast or, or a couple times a week. And so find those groups of like-minded people and get involved with them. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time and your insight and continue your great work there at Emergent Research, doing what they can to help us uh, all understand the importance of other people when it comes to our work life. Really, we can't get through it alone, folks. Uh, If we haven't learned that by now, eventually we will, I assume. Up next, we'll do a little Coach's Corner on how to connect people together. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be connected. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! 
Play ball, folks. So uh, how interesting is that where um, all of a sudden we we used to want to not have to go into work, but we wanted to be able to work from home. And then working from home, we're now finding out is actually disconnecting us, making us feel less of a part of the team, less of a, a member of the of the group. But, you know, we've got to be careful because then all of a sudden they're going to make us all come in. and ugh. But what this might also be suggesting to us is – a lot of us aren't happy no matter what, right? I mean, we we always seem to want something else. And I call that kind of the paradox of life. When you finally have, you know, the wisdom uh, because you're, you, you know, you've lived a long time, you know what's real, what's fake, and you finally get to this great stage in life where you're wise, then your health starts to fail. Or when you, why is it that uh, when you have all the energy to live life, you don't have the money? But when you have the money, you don't always have the energy. And we always are just constantly, it feels like to me, wanting something we don't have. I do a lot of work, obviously, with couples. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to married couples that would just love to be single and single couple, single people that would love to be married. And ah, no one's happy. People that were, you know, really want kids, and then when they have kids, they're like, ah, oh, these kids are so hard. It's just all of us. So there is a paradox going on, and it might simply be that maybe instead of, you know, re- rearranging everything in your life, um, maybe we ought to figure out first and foremost what we want in life. What are the essential things of our life? And there's a great book called Essentialism by Greg McKeon. We've had him on the show before, um, but I've been reading it a lot lately about what what really matters. And a great question you can ask yourself uh, to know what really matters is how much would you pay for this experience? So if you if you would love to work more from home, how much would you pay to do it? What would you be willing to give up in order to work and have a more flexible schedule? Or if you have a flexible schedule, how much would you pay to actually get, and you're lonely, how much would you pay to get back to a work setting? Because again, it sounds like you could go now to one of these co-working locations where you'd probably have to pay, right? You got to pay for the service and pay for a place to have your office, but it might be helpful. How much would you pay to be able to start your own business? How much would you pay to be able to quit your business that you started and just go get a really good, healthy job working for a company? Once I started asking myself that, I started realizing what I really would value enough to spend money on. And you realize not a lot. There's not a lot of things that I would just, you know, be willing to spend money on. Interestingly, though, maybe the problem is, isn't where we work, it's not how we work, it's not who we work with, but many of us just don't feel connected to what we're doing. We don't feel a passion or a purpose about what we're doing. And uh, at some point, that will probably catch up with you, right? If you're just trying to get your paycheck, and that's how you see your job is just, hey, eight more years till I can retire, (laughs) that's... Ah, that's exhausting. And by the way, that would be hard to be alone if that's all you had going on in your workplace. So maybe another option for you would be see if you can't find a deeper purpose in what you're doing. Reconnect to a deeper uh, a deeper connection, uh, maybe connect it into a higher plane of living, something that matters more to you. 
If you're a religious person or a spiritual person, maybe there's a way you could take the work you're doing every day and somehow create tie it into your, your spiritual purpose in life. So you can actually say, you know what, I'm making a difference because I'm living my purpose. I'm living my mission. Wouldn't that be powerful enough? We've got to find something. It's not enough to just have a job anymore. We are here to be more than our job. We are here to connect, to give back, to love, to learn, to do all of these things. And uh, it gets pretty lonely when we feel like we're not accomplishing our bigger purpose in life. Anyway, that's just my two cents worth. We'll continue the journey, folks, and continue learning together. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping us all be the good in the world. Welcome back. Again, it's time to hit our empty news segment with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey, what's going on? I thought this would be a good one because you've been talking about how you've had the flu. Yes. And uh, blaming it on me, I should add. (laughs) Uh, There's an Arizona woman who was hospitalized, or she is hospitalized, with a flesh-eating disease after being diagnosed with the flu. Uh Uh-oh. So, yeah, she thought uh, what she had was the flu, and it turns out, no, it's something called, it's an aggressive form of necrotizing fasciitis. Oh, yeah. You heard of this? I've heard of necrotizing and fasciitis. Okay. Uh, It's an extremely rare disease, but it's also very destructive. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the disease can lead to death in a short amount of time, and surgery is required to prevent it from spreading. People are more prone to serious infections when they're sick with the flu because one's immune system is weakened, said Dr. Frank Lavecchio, an emergency room physician. The flu doesn't cause necrotizing fasciitis. You're uh, many, many thousands of times more likely to get the flu this year than necrotizing fasciitis once in your lifetime. Uh, Lipinski, this is the woman, underwent two surgeries to remove 30% of her tissue, which had become infected due to the disease. So she's still uh, in critical condition. Yikes. Not to make light of it, but no. you might want to go to the doctor and make sure that uh, you don't uh, just have the flu. No, I'm fine. My skin's pretty much staying intact. Nothing necrotizing there. But what a you, – you know, the way this country works, it's all going to ta- – that's going to turn into a diet issue. That's going to be like become the next diet plan. Maybe it's going to be a lettuce issue again. No, Maybe no. Terry's at no. risk. Oh, boy. Don't even get him worried. He wouldn't be able to eat a salad. That would tip over his whole life. Uh, that's, that's sad. You start with a cold, and I've seen it. I have a friend suffering from cancer right now and going through radiation or chemotherapy, and mm. she's had the cold, the flu for a month. Amazing. It is scary when you have these sicknesses that for some reason or another you just cannot shake. No, yeah. no matter what you it's do, you can't away. get rid of them. Yeah, but I'm glad you brought it to our office. You mean again? In, you're blaming me, aren't you? I mean that in the best way possible. I, I, it hasn't hit me that hard, so I'm I'm not. I shouldn't be. I'm not upset because it hasn't hit me that hard. Well, at least you're not getting it twice. No, that's true. It circled right back around and that's hit right. us again. That's right. That's how it works. Hey, that's hour number two of the program. If you uh, want to get any of our old uh, shows or older shows, you can go just Google us. Uh, go to Matt Townsend uh, Podcast. Go to BYU Radio. We're everywhere, folks. Go to iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and check out some of our old segments as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and welcome. Happy Monday to you. Again, many are still celebrating uh, the fun evening last night of the Super Bowl. Some. Those that, those that participated. And I've got a little bit of a hangover from all the Muddy Buddies that I ate watching Groundhog Day and Temple of Doom. Is that what you did? Mm-hmm. And Muddy mm-hmm. Buddies, uh, you said you were going to make them, and you did. I sure did. We had They were a, delicious. We had a really weird variety of food. We had some Mexican food. We had some Italian, like ziti. Oh, it was so good. The Mexican was really good. It was an enchilada thing. Oh, and then we had, of course, yeah, because I don't know if you know this, I 7% of me is either Italian or uh, Greek. Wrong. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out. Hey, I've got a question for you. Because yeah. as you know, you know this, Valentine's Day is coming up. Yeah. And now that the tickets to your date night are sold out. Sold out. What? I mean, what am I going to do now? What ideas do you have? Now you need to, now it's just about love. Now it's about serving, giving of yourself. I'd start with an apology. For what? For freezing your family out for the last couple weeks. I could have I could have done more to take care of that quicker. Yeah. But, I will admit. Well, and that would probably help. I mean, that, this isn't just about romance. I wouldn't try to romance your spouse. Really? I mean, right now I just try to make up for the fact that they nearly died. <laughs> Freezing to death. Uh, so more apology, less romance. Yeah. And, you know, and, and a change. You know what's the best, the most romantic gift somebody can give their spouse is just improvement. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Wow, you could really play that up and save a lot of headache. Well, I mean, the funny thing is uh, they you wouldn't would have all... to worry about a gift. Oh, I'm just trying to improve every year. Well, you're going to give your spouse chocolate, and in her head, she's thinking, I just wish you'd put the toilet seat down. Mm. See, but I, yeah, I, I kind of disagree with that because improvement, I think of, yeah, like cleaning something or doing some sort of task around the house. Yeah. And then it's like, gee, thanks, but I, this is stuff you should be, you should have been doing all along. Right. Except the funny you know? thing is, no, notice what I said. I said improvement. Yeah. So I'm not saying talking about improvement or promising improvement. I'm just saying improve. And then if you improved, like honestly, what could you give her on Valentine's Day that would be better than the last year of your growth and development and your improvement? A necklace? Yeah. Like, oh, that's going to matter. What if she really likes it? Well, she would, except – and the funny thing is is if you actually improved – You'd know exactly what to buy her. I don't think I've met. You'd be a, listening to her. I don't think I've met a woman yet that, uh, no matter what they say, as far as oh, you don't need to buy me a necklace or all this jewelry, but uh, still is not going to complain if you get that for them. No, oh, right. But but again, you do you know how many people are going to go buy something that their wife doesn't want? Like, hey, I got you some lingerie <laughs> for you. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's for me. Pig. So maybe one of the things we do is we actually just change. It's what my whole date night's on. What if we just actually oh, wow. change? Now we don't have to go. 
Yeah. We're getting the express version. We already know. Thanks, yeah. Matt. Appreciate that. Well, it really mean, streamlined the weekend. The sad thing about the whole thing is that <laughs> your spouses just wish you would just change. Not you, of course, because no. you guys are doing great. Yeah, everything's wonderful. Didn't great. Michael Jackson say that? Probably. He probably sang it. Don't you or know? it was either Michael Jackson or Batman from Lego Batman, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Well, we're not asking. So up next, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? So... uh this was a uh, letter. It said, The Bureau is under fire, not from those on the left, but rather conservatives who have long been the agency's biggest supporters, as well as the president, who handpicked the FBI leader. It's really? kind of yeah. assessing right. the FBI and the president's concerns and Congress and how this is going. It's you have a handpicked FBI leader, and the president's not happy with him. The conservative side of government, who's really been the law and order side of government, is now against the FBI. Right. The Democrats are now defending the FBI, and in the past, the Democrats have been the ones that have been concerned right. about the FBI, surveillance, investigative tactics, these things. Roles have flipped. Totally. It's confusing. They're all flipping out. Bureau officials say that the accusations in the document uh, produced by House Republicans are inaccurate and more damaging in the long haul. Uh, they corrode the agency's ability to remain independent and do its job. One law enforcement official says there is a lot of anger the irony is that a, a conservative-leaning organization, and it's been trashed by conservatives. The FBI tends to be conservative. Yeah, oh, absolutely. More of their thinking. As first, it was just perplexing. Now there's anger because it's not going away. Uh, a survey, uh, a Axios survey monkey poll over the weekend found that uh, those people that identified as Republicans, 47% have a negative opinion of the FBI now. Yeah. So the tides have switched they turned a little bit here as we're discussing this morning um the democrat on the house intelligence committee is a member of the name of adam schiff from california shifty schiff the president tweets out little adam schiff who is desperate to run for higher office is one of the biggest liars and leakers in washington right up there with comey warner brennan and clapper adam uh, leaves close what leaves closed <laughs> committee on. hearings to illegal leak conf- le- illegally leak confidential information he must be stopped yeah so that's what the president tweeted out Adam Schiff responded, this is what we're to now. We have grown men on Twitter tweeting back and forth at each other. Mr. President, I see you had a busy morning of executive time. Instead of tweeting false smears, the American people would appreciate it if you just turned off the TV and helped solve the the funding crisis, protect dreamers, or really just do anything else. Does he realize the wrath that is going to come down on him for that tweet? He didn't see that coming. So it's just kind of fun. Yeah. Back and forth, nonsense, and what's at stake, the law enforcement agencies of the country and people's confidence in them. Uh, sensitive Department of Homeland Security documents that criticize the planned response to a simulated anthrax attack in preparation for the Super Bowl were left behind a, in a commercial flight. The papers were found by a CNN employee in the seat back pocket. Oh, boy. The documents were allegedly marked important for national security for official use only. They were supposed to be uh, shredded. They were supposed to be shredded before being discarded. Uh, a CNN contributor who used to work as a Department of Homeland Security official called the breach a really stupid thing, adding, who knows who else could have picked this up and yeah. seen tactics and processes. Seems and like a big deal. Probably don't want to leave those just around no, in an airplane no, that's going to cause a problem oh well. the author of the memo arguing for a government takeover and of uh, development of the nation's 5g mobile network has been removed from the national security council staff remember last week yeah. we were talking about that yeah, yeah the idea of the next generation of uh connect uh, connectivity for your phones and tablets and computers would be 5g 
Right now it's 4G, so the next you know generation of that. Whoever wrote up that document's been removed from the National Security Council. The memo's unauthorized release this week caused or last week caused uproar in the telecom community and created embarrassment for the White House. A senior administration official confirmed to uh, uh, this writer says the Air Force Brigadier General Robert Spaulding is no longer serving as the NCS Senior Director for Strategic Planning. Oh, that document was not supposed to see the uh, light of day, and blasted. it saw the light of day. Uh, yeah. Other news: Defense Logistics Agency, the Pentagon, has reportedly lost track. That's in quotes, by the way. Lost track of hundreds of millions of dollars that it has spent, according to a political report on an internal audit at the bureau. Accountants from Ernst and Young are said to have conducted the audit and found the agency did not properly document more than eight hundred million dollars in construction projects. Oh, and wow. this goes to. Oops. A growing criticism of the Defense Department as a whole, can they handle mal- managing its $700 billion annual budget and being able to account for where every dollar goes? So far, the answer is no. How do we fix that? And no one seems to want to step up with an answer. Yeah. is kind of the concern there. Um, if you can't follow the money, you aren't going to be able to do an audit, says Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley. Okay. Which is really sound advice if you think about it. What a great accounting advice. <laughs> and finally, a Super Bowl ad that's getting a lot of criticism is the Dodge truck ad that uses yeah. Martin Luther King quotes and talking about it. And says, so among the less popular ads was this ad, which it uh, has a preacher exhortation to service. Grace and love is used to urge viewers to purchase a Dodge Ram truck. Right. The incongruity was glaring, but it gets worse. The recording came from a 1968 sermon in which Martin Luther King Jr. rallied against consumerism and the drum major instinct, which he (laughs) defined as the desire to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, and to lead the parade. He specifically critiqued new car commercials as an example of the destructive ethic of envy, waste, and pride he had in mind. So they took a quote from a speech that specifically criticized new car ads as being harmful to the country. Yeah. Harmful to the just the American fiber of being a better person and tried to use it in the Super Bowl to sell trucks. Wow. Someone's getting hmm. fired at an ad agency. Well, but what's sad is the the uh, what are they called? The protector of the Martin Luther King name, mm. brand and rights gave them the rights. I guess. So who gets to speak for what Martin Luther King would say or do? And who gets the blame? Apparently, not the people that have the rights to the Martin Luther King. The blame his goes grandkids, to whoever were. the ad agency was, yeah. because their whole job is to make the client look good, and this isn't working. It's not mm. happening. And part of the problem, though, too, is that there were a lot of subtle or less subtle messages mm-hmm. about unity and equality, and we are all good and we are all the same. T Mobile had the one with babies. Right. People the, were distracted the, right. by babies. Yeah. So, I mean, that was beautiful. Hmm. That was cute as can be. I, I was I, waiting for it to be a diaper ad because they kept talking about change. Yeah. And there were babies. And I thought it would be awesome if it ended up being te- like, uh, you know, Huggies or something and it turned out to be a phone ad. Right. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I guess the neat thing now today is that everybody can critique anything. Oh, yeah. Especially as they're staying home as they've called in sick for work. Yeah. As maybe 14 million people are doing this morning because, you know, they have a cough. <laughs> <laughs> My back hurts. That's because they have a chip stuck in their throat that they can't quite get out. Oh, that's hard, though. We found some guacamole chips that actually taste like guacamole. Really? Most of the time, we've tried several brands. They come back and they kind of taste like a chemical concoction. These actually tasted like guacamole. Did I tell you I had found guacamole salsa 
in a jar, and it was a three-pack at Costco. Oh, I was so tempted. You guys are really easily swayed by a little guac. Well, guacamole's good. As I, we had guacamole last night, I, I would never, I never think, I need I, guac. I, I identified with the avocado commercial. Yeah. If you remember that. And they said they put everyone in the that dome. That was great, yeah. They had their avocado, but then the chips were outside the dome on oh, a pallet, was, and the place went nuts. That was great. <laughs> and then at the end, they said the Wi-Fi just went down, and they went nuts again. Yeah. And I was like, both of those would cause panic and in my life. And then they threw the curveball. What was that? Mexican oh, avocados. Yeah. And then it was ad for Mexico. Avocados. Because I, I had, you've seen the avocado ads from California avocados. Mm-hmm. Sure. But now the Mexicans are starting to steal our avocado ads. Well, I mean, the cartels have to eat too. So I love it. That's why we need the wall, right? <laughs> the avocado cartels is what you're talking about. Well, no, a lot of the avocado industry is They're scary. greatly or owned by the cartels. But scary people. That's a different story for me. I love, I, I love the commercials. Those were great. Lots of outside I countries saw, starting to buy for our attention. Australia's in there, yeah. I saw a poll over the weekend that um, the what, only like 38% of those responding said they were actually interested in the game. Hmm. The vast majority interested yeah. in the commercials. No, right. I had a hard time hearing the game because I had so many people around me yeah. um, talking. Mm. That bugs me. That, it, it, I kind of – I didn't know what to do. I, I, before they were in the kitchen talking, which I didn't care because I was watching the game. Then they came to watch uh, Brother Timberlake. Mm. <laughs> and then Brother Timberlake performed. And then when he was done, they all just kept talking. Yeah. So you didn't want people to talk. Mm. What do you expect when you get people in a room together? Sit quietly and watch the game. That's, that's what I thought would happen. Mm. Or leave. I love I loved their talk. I loved that they were talking. And I don't want to take their rights away. I just they wish they would – I mean I wouldn't talk during the Oscars. You could relocate sure you their would. rights. You can have your rights over there. Go in the other <laughs> room, please. Yeah. It was fun. It was a fun night. And um, it really is seems to be turning more into a holiday like you're saying. But so should it be? No. Should we take a day off of work? Or should they – well, they're never going to move it off of Saturday because Saturday I don't think we get them the same ratings. No. Why don't they, they move the game? To a, a holiday we already take, like President's Day. Mm, then they'd have to take out weeks of the season. And, eh, don't do that. Mm, it just seems like people, it would be a solution. That no, would, because when you start moving games, then owners of teams start losing money. Because well, why don't, don't they add two games. more games? What do you mean two more games? Just add two more games to the season. Well, because the players are already getting beat up enough and they don't want to put more stress on their bodies that they're making money off of playing football. I bet that. I bet the man or the bosses wouldn't care. They don't, truly. But they have this thing called a union that stops them from just doing whatever uh, they want. It's, it's always back to the union. It's great. We just need like an extra week's worth of holidays. Like in Europe, they yeah. have just an enormous amount of holidays, really for no reason. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they don't complain. Well, they, 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 in, they would say there's a reason. You mm. need holidays to be with your family. You know, family, Why don't we get that? Family first. Did you hear about this uh, Las Vegas better? Placed five wagers on the Eagles, and he's going to now cash in at $6 million. What? Hmm. Still shouldn't bet. No, because he could have very well lost all that. And But again, what, they were the underdog. You hate that word. They were, they were supposed but to lose. It doesn't make it – not necessarily. 
No, you say that. You just they they they, they drop a number. It's usually about a touchdown or a field goal or something. But yeah. it's not like they were twenty five point underdogs and they rallied to win or something. Well, but the fact that this guy won six million dollars by betting that they would win maybe indicates that they weren't really favored to win. Yeah. Or he bet an enormous amount of money. That is another possibility. How about this little known fact that nobody's talking about? Tom Brady becomes the oldest quarterback to win a playoff game in NFL history and also yeah. to get to the Super Bowl. That's great. He didn't win. Nobody got to. He, he won a playoff <laughs> Nobody game. Nobody cares. He didn't win. And then he got What about in. winners, Matt? See, that's, that's that, what this country's built on. That winning. is. Do we talk about all the times we lost? Well, but the, no, the reality the is. No, we didn't. Well, but the reality is, is Civil if Tom War. Brady— Civil War. Does the South talk about losing? No, they talk okay, about— Okay, here, here's— well, <laughs> well, but Tom Brady is 40—what is he, 40 years old. Yeah. He, and he's now saying he wants two more—he wants to go to the Super Bowl two more times. Right. So he's already the oldest player in the NFL, isn't he? I think so. I mean, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Terry, here's what I'll do. When Jordan Peele does not win any Oscars okay. next month— yeah. I'll come back and say he's the first person to his debut movie. Mm. He got nominated for Best Screenplay, Best Director, and whoa, Best whoa, Picture, whoa, whoa. and he didn't win. He lost. Yes. Why are we talking about that? We were talking about football. I'm just giving you an example of what you're doing. For the the people that don't care about football, the Oscars yeah. are it's a big night. Well, but again, I it's about it's not always about winning. Um, the you do you Isn't remember? It though? No, here's why. I mean, losing isn't really as in fact that very positive that, a thing that right in society. There, that's what tells us you went to journalism school because okay. oh, wow. uh, the South what you Koreans, <laughs> the South Koreans have a hockey team. Yes, they do. Really? The North Koreans. Mm-hmm. This is the females. The North Koreans have now been invited to play on the South Koreans hockey team. That's right. Cool. They are mm-hmm. now sharing a hockey team called the Korean hockey team. And instead of playing a national anthem for either of them, they play a Korean song that is like a a historic Korean song that's beautiful that unifies everyone. Now, here's the deal. The the North Koreans are not allowed to stay with them. They're not Mm -hmm. allowed to bunk with them. So the coach, who happens to be Canadian, says, hey, you know what? It makes it a little harder to coach and get everyone on the same page. But uh, you know what? We'll we'll deal with it. We'll We'll just handle it. Now, guess what the journalist said? Apparently, all this togetherness Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to matter because in the end, they lost. They still didn't get a win. Right. Hmm. Unless the win Uh was the unification Uh potential of a divided state. Or as Vice President Mike Pence's office says, North Korea wants to make this about cute photo ops. The vice president is countering North Korea's desire to control the message. We're not ceding two weeks of the world media, this world media propaganda to North Korea. We're not doing that. That's what vice... Yeah. So what you're you're buying into this propaganda, that there's a unified Korea. No. And Mike Pence is saying, no, 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 no. No. That's not happening. Not buying into it. So he gave us the equivalent of... It's just an honor to be nominated. It's no, it's an honor. It's an honor to to think of two divided places. Great to be named amongst all these great candidates for this award. Playing together. Imagine the power of you being a South Korean hockey player who, by the way, still scored one goal on the um, Swedes. Three to one is what the score was. But imagine that you're a hockey player and you get to go play with your sisters mm-hmm. that really are oppressed and held back and you get to show them a higher light. It is pretty cool. Right. Pretty powerful. Are you programming the Olympic TV 
nope. filler product because that's what that sounds like. It's like, oh, it let's just, have that heartfelt moment before we nope, show here's volleyball. Why. Let, me give you, let me give you a little reason why. Because in the end, bobsled is next. Everybody, everybody will lose. Mm. Everybody loses when North Korea can't play with everybody. This is true. <sighs> just like we lost having a civil war. Do you think Mike Pence's approach helps? No. It's political. Just thought I'd ask. And I don't think President Trump's, nor do I think any of the Democrats, helps. It just, it's about, they think it's about winners. The funny thing about it is you're only a winner as long as you can beat the next winner next to you. Mm. But five minutes later, you will be the loser. So trophies for everyone. Nope. Nope. There's a time and a place to compete, and there's a time and a place to cooperate. Participation ribbons? Nope. Okay. Cooperate ribbons. There's a time and a place to compete. Everyone and gets a celebratory cookie. For example, there's a time to compete when a bunch of people run for election and a ah. president wins an election. Mm. He's now won the election. Then mm. there's a time to cooperate and get something done for this country, which doesn't seem to ever happen. It always seems to continue to be competition. Right. Just like on the NFL team, they mm-hmm. all used to compete against each other to make those teams. Once they make the team, then they've got to cooperate. There you you go. can't compete if you're all on the Eagles and you're all still competing during that game True. against the Eagles. No. But if you get cut <sighs> from the Patriots and told to take a pay cut, then you become the running back for the Eagles and, and then you run over the Patriots. That's right. It feels so good know, to see, beat that's them. If, no, that's interesting. Then you're competing again. Oh, wow. Look at that. Such, such lessons today, Matt. Life lessons. The so battle. don't compete cooperate cooperate when it's time to cooperate and let's compete when it's time to compete but no need to compete when you should be cooperating come on it's got to end and uh, I, I think that's a great I think that's a great symbol north and south coming together and losing to the Swedes <laughs> sounds pretty harsh but it is true we will continue these life lessons straight ahead uh, so much to learn so much to know right here on the Matt Townsend show It's time, folks, to, uh, to have our good friends um, from Clarity Point Coaching joining us. Uh, Nicole Cunningham is a master executive coach with 15 years of coaching and consulting experience and has dedicated her career to assisting companies and individuals and families uh, all over the globe, in Australia, Malaysia, the U.K., Singapore. And we're honored to have her with us today. Hello, Nicole. How are you doing today? Hi there. I'm great. How are you, Matt? Excellent. Now, um, I'm telling you, by the way, did you like the Super Bowl? Are you are you into American football yet? I, I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to understand it. It's yeah. so... I like the entertainment. Yeah. I almost felt like it was a Justin Timberlake concert with a bit of football in it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's what it feels like, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so it kind of, it makes everybody happy in the end. It does. It's good. It's a it's a good thing. Now, um, you work with uh, with a lot of great people, and Kim Giles is one of them. And and Kim wrote an article today, uh, I mean, that appeared today in the Deseret News about 
and we I see it a lot in my own coaching practice. I mean, on KSL dot com um, about the impact of when when your close family members are leaving your church, your religion, your faith that you've carried your whole life. It, it creates a big impact. It's really hard. It's really hard, and I have to tell you, we see more and more of it, this kind of discord happening in families and. The big thing is, is that we we're in disbelief and we don't understand. I I did all of this for you. I I was intentionally brought you up with these values, and now you're turning around and you're rejecting it, and therefore it feels like you're rejecting me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it becomes a, like a personal rejection. And what is it that makes it so hard for us um, to handle it? Is it that I'm feeling rejected? Is it that I'm afraid what's going to happen to them if they don't follow this road? combination of both, Matt. I think we you'd be familiar with this from, from our work is we label this kind of suffering, this kind of emotion as fear of loss because it's a loss experience. Whenever our life doesn't go the way that we thought or it should have gone, you know, it, it should be like this. It shouldn't be like this. You know, anytime that we're in that kind of thing where our expectations are not met, we're having a loss experience. So it's scary because it's new ground. So not only does it feel like a personal loss, but we also worry about the other person. So there's a lot of fear involved. Mm. What are we supposed to do when um, when they're coming to us and they're telling us, you know, I don't believe what you believe. I don't follow your values as closely as you do. What do we do to not let let fear lead out? So anytime that we experience this fear of loss, which is things are not the way that I thought that they should have been, the, the, the correction for that and how to feel safe again in all of those circumstances is to trust that life is a journey, not a classroom, that this might be impacting you and it feels like it's so personal, but we've got to trust in the greater picture. Now, a lot of people who are struggling with this dilemma have a lot of faith, so this, it's very easy for them to adopt and, and adapt into these new um, you know, ways of thinking, which is we've got to trust that God or the universe, whatever it is that is that you believe in, has him and her and everybody involved in the palm of his or her hand. And, and that's a really important part, because if we feel like we need to control that, which is often the behavior we get into when we're in, in this emotionally triggered state, is we want to go and control and we want to go and tell them this is wrong. And, and unfortunately, we step into judgment. And when we get into that judgment, it only creates more space and they're more likely to run permanently. Mm. Right? So instead, what we coach our clients to do is to trust that for some reason, this is all of you are meant to be having this experience at this stage. And, and this is what it's meant to be like. So we've got to choose that life is actually a perfect classroom and it's actually teaching us something individually. So what is it that you could possibly be needing to learn to this experience? Now, as soon as we shift that, we're moving into a growth mindset instead of a victim mindset. Mm. That's a great. Uh, that's a great tool. I think I was. I was speaking with a really good friend who has um, who's going through cancer and is having chemo treatments and has just was like, I can't remember what number it is. It's I think her third or fourth treatment. And it just knocks her out for about a week. And mm. she was just coming out of that uh, that hazy time. And, and as we were sitting watching a basketball game, our kids were playing basketball. I asked her, what uh, what is the greatest lesson or greatest thing about what she's going through? 
And she looked at me for a second like, are you crazy? Um, But then it was the most incredible spiritually connected moment I've had in a long time where she got very real and very vulnerable about all the good that is coming out of this and the and the miracles she's seeing and the prayers that people are offering it's it's truly a beautiful thing but i guess that's what you're saying is life is here to teach us something and if if we just are always reacting to the fear it's it creates more pain in a way but if we can figure out what the lessons are and then share them it creates more hope it does and and more than anything we have to stay away from this idea that they're wrong and I'm right. Yeah. So the only way for us to do that is to focus on, okay, I may not like their choices right now, but it's, it's not that I am losing any love for them. So how is it that I can step into being a more loving, a better person within this relationship? Because I still want to strengthen this relationship, even if they do have different opinions. Because over time, people change. And, and it might flip around the other direction again. And you don't want to be severing that relationship or being in such a place where you're so deeply hurt and offended that you risk there being any connection in the future. So the only way that we can do that is to focus on how is this going to make me a better person? Because then I'm not feeling like a victim. And exactly like your friend who's going mm. through that treatment right now. So we have to adopt that mindset. And more than anything, we have to step outside of the judgment. It's so easy for us to get on that high horse and to put other people down when we're afraid because it makes us feel safer. And we like to criticize other people. Uh, the, the problem in doing this is it creates greater and greater space, more and more levels of resentment and anger. And you don't want this to be something that continues to go on for and affect other people in the family. So really, you, you've got a lot of responsibility to manage the way that you, that you are responding to this person. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer um, and, and you're not going to have pain around it, but your attitude is going to make a big difference into how it's going to move forward and how it's going to progress. Oh, it's so true. It's so, so true. And I guess, too, part of this is um, your your confidence should come from your principles, your living in the faith, um, maybe more than your confidence should come from the fact that your kids are living them. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, because it seems like a lot of times when we have a discord like this or a problem like this, I, I then start going against my principles and trying to find a way to coerce you, force you, scare That's you, intimidate right. you into doing it. That's right. And really, what's the basis of every single, um, you know, faith or religion on the planet is unconditional love. So what a great opportunity for you to really step into living and breathing and, and, and being that example. So we've got to sincerely love and serve and give these people, even in the face of sadness and all that disappointment and, and fear. No, that's great. That's so great. What uh, what other advice would you say? And, and what what are some other tricks that can help all of us? Uh, whether it is you know a faith crisis, um, even what what should I be doing if all of a sudden I'm starting to question my own belief system? What are some things that that you would suggest I do to make sure I I don't stray before I have really made a a decision? Yeah, that's a really great question. We get this one a lot as well. And I always say that if we start with the two pieces of paper in front of you, the first one is what I know to be true. What do I know to be true either about my religion or my faith or how I feel about things? What do I know with certainty about who I am and these values? And then the second piece of paper is where you have any of those curly question marks. And it's really important for us to put these things down on paper because whenever we are are, um, experiencing any kind of doubt, it's often fear-driven. 
And fears, as you know, they feel bigger than what they are. So sometimes they can be all-consuming. We've all experienced that 3 o'clock in the morning where we start worrying about, you know, whether or not I'm going to have enough groceries to feed the dinner party. And we're thinking, seriously, this is a dinner party. We, we <laughs> have that rationale in the morning. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, it feels like an elephant on our chest. So getting these things down on paper and being really clear about what questions you have or what doubts that you have so that we can actually quantify them because sometimes these doubts feel bigger than they are. Yeah. Then once we're aware of that, then it's about going and seeking counsel. It's about reaching out to people who are trusted, who are not going to be in a place of judgment and who are going to love you through this place of uncertainty. Because with all faith and religion, it's always a best outcome if we can be loved through those times of confusion and then come out the other side. So we have to choose the people that we receive counsel with, but we can't do that with accuracy if we're not really sure about what we're feeling. Mm. That really is true about the feelings, too, because a lot of people are they're driven by feelings, but feelings can come from a lot of sources. And sometimes they can come from spiritual sources, I believe, and sometimes they come from maybe less spiritual, but maybe more self-protective sources. That's right. That's right. And so if we don't get these things down on paper, we can't be clear about how much is the ego and then how much is it truly what I'm, I'm feeling to be true. So one of the greatest questions we can ask is, what do I know to be true about my faith and about God and about how I feel as I'm loved as a son or daughter of God? Because most of those feelings never ever go away because they are the true spiritual mm. principles. It's sometimes our, um, our struggle with obedience or our struggle with conformity that is actually the ego that's screaming out that makes us have these faith or spiritual crises. And when we can get these on paper and go, okay, this is just my ego. I'm not wanting to comply. Okay, I get this. This is more a psychological thing. I'm less likely to doubt the true spiritual essence of who I am. Yeah, no, that's great. And it seems like, too, if I'm talking to somebody that it's in their ego or their mind, and they're, they, they've got a lot of questions and pain and issues. The minute I, I'm kind of taking them on and forcing them to defend them, then they end up defending something they may not actually believe in yet. That's right, which means that then it's just it's, it's this battle of wills. And this is what we're trying to not – this is why we wrote this article this week, I have to tell you, Matt, is because unfortunately a lot of us step into judgment – we're very committed to the idea of black and white thinking and that you're wrong and I'm right, you know, and, and that's what really is breaking down families. So we've got to love everybody where they are. We've got to allow people to do their own questioning and to follow their own truth and continue to pray and serve and love them as you always have without any kind of expectation. Because it's one thing for them to have a spiritual crisis. It's another thing for, the, for your relationship to go down the Googler in, in the process. That's so true. Some other ideas you give um, in the article are be grateful, serve people that have it worse than you, but really kind of just, it's kind of go walk your talk. That's right. And live and let live. Because when we do give people the freedom to express themselves, they do come around. They really do. None of us like being controlled. So go and serve in the way that you can. Go and love them. Go, don't be in judgment. Be grateful. Nourish that relationship for what it is and allow people to have their process. Because you'd be surprised how when they're not met with resistance and your fear, they're allowed to have their own process. Whereas if you're putting all this projection, like what you were saying, you know, if you're putting all this projection on them, they're less likely to be able to discover their own truth in it. That's so true. So good. Give us one more thing. What would you say is the one thing? So the minute we see our child suffering through a faith crisis, they're starting to question everything we've believed in our entire lives. What would you suggest is the first thing we should be doing? 
be the safe person to have the conversation with, which means that it can't be about your judgment and it can't be about your fear. If you really want to nourish and strengthen that relationship and go along this journey, you've got to earn that place in their life. And we earn by listening and validating, not by being in a point in a position of judgment or having our opinions heard. So if you want to really be part of this process rather than them running the other way and you being blocked out, you have to earn that position of safety, which means validate how they're feeling, even if you don't agree with it, and don't be in judgment. That's great. Good stuff. Great stuff. Nicole Cunningham, thank you so much for your time, your energy there. Clarity Point Coaching uh, is the website, claritypointcoaching.com, where you can get more information about the great work that Kim and uh, Nicole are doing to change lives and to help all of us uh, eliminate the fear in our lives, start operating more from faith. This is uh, the lesson we all need, right? How to actually put these lessons into our life, that's the hard part. We will continue the journey and the learning straight ahead. BYU Sports Nation is up next with us. Welcome back, friends. Yes, it's time now to uh, mosey on down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation and uh, get their view of what happened last night at the big game. Uh, Spencer and Jerem, are you there? Gentlemen. We are here, Matt. Every time I hear that intro music, I think about last time on The Love Boat. (laughs) Exactly. I love The Love Boat. Man, they uh, the um, what are they called? The cruise director, Julie, she made people so happy. Yes. I have such nostalgic feelings about that show, primarily because if I could watch The Love Boat, that meant I was in school break, summer vacation as a child. Yeah. Because it was on late, and my parents didn't care that I was staying up late because it was summer break. Didn't that show give you a completely different view of doctors, though? Because the ship doctor was kind of a mover and a shaker, and very rarely was he actually ever doing anything of import. Anyway, that's when I knew I wanted to be a doctor. So, um, guys, did you listen to the Super Bowl? Did you watch it, I mean? Yeah, I sat in my car and listened to it on the radio. Yeah, that's weird. You never went inside. I actually had to listen to the Super Bowl and Kevin Harlan for a few minutes in my car. Why? Uh, Because I was invited to a party. Home teaching. In uh, the Salt Lake City area. Okay. And I was required to stay at church until 4.15 because of some... Uh, some church responsibilities. Some mandatory so disciplinary we, we listened on the radio until yeah. we could get to the uh, the party that we were invited to. It was a, quite a game. What do you think? Oh, man. It was super exciting. A lot of Most total yards a ever. A lot of offense, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, yeah, that was, that was crazy. Yeah, it was entertaining. It was great. What, uh, favorite commercial? Tide. Tide. It's not close. Hopper from Stranger Things was the MVP. Yeah, that, that was good. Ran. That was good. Nope, this is a Tide commercial. Nope. <laughs> and that horse, by the way, I still can't get over that horse. That was, That's yeah, a long yeah, horse. pretty good. I mean, the NFL's plug with uh, <laughs> the throwback to Dirty Dancing yeah. with Eli Manning. And that was great. <laughs> Odell funny. Beckham Jr. was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> He's lifting him up. <laughs> that was... That was awkward on many levels. Somebody tweeted out, hey, Eli Manning stole the show again in a Super Bowl with the Patriots. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. This is good. Except he wasn't playing. Um, what? Uh, okay, so Super Bowl great. Uh, what did you think about Justin Timberlake? I think he's just so was awesome. smooth. What did yeah. you think? I liked it. I liked he's it a lot. He's so smooth. He's so smooth. And um, his likability is at an all-time high. Yeah, right. No, totally. 
And he, you know, he once the Trolls song hit, the kids started going crazy. Yeah, my daughter went crazy. That's fun. Fun times. Now, let's let's uh, shift gears because I know you guys have a show to do. Um, but I, are you guys going to be talking about the Gonzaga game? Unfortunately, Maybe. yes. And and can you help me understand how we lost to Loyola? Uh, nope, no. still trying to okay. figure that one out. Well, Just I can checking. tell you a couple of statistics that uh, kind of explain that. Ooh, okay. uh, BYU shot 5 for 24 from the three-point line, I... and they turned the ball over 16 times yeah, against LMU but... when LMU only turned it over 8. That right explains there. it right there. Done. That's the, that's the point And guess what? BYU shot poorly again from the three-point line. The star player, Elijah Bryant, Statistically, his worst game is a Cougar, one for 11. Wow. Yet they were still in the game at the end, which is weird. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I totally agree. So today we will discuss uh, BYU lost Gonzaga, at-large hopes, gone. (sighs) So what now? Moral victories. What now for BYU? (laughs) We both agree that BYU's improved, but the more BYU plays out, it's like BYU's 7-5 in league, so they lose games by less points, and so that's... Better? Moral victory. Yeah, it's it's tough because BYU's not made much actual progress in the standings. Yeah. They're seven so. and five in league, which is nah. BYU's tied for third right now. You're supposed to help us ramp up the energy uh, to get people okay. excited for the show, Matt. Okay, so let's now do that. Um so you guys I'm sure will take this on and then bring hope and energy plus excitement and other insights that have never been thought of before. Rebellions are built on hope. <gasps> Is there a rebellion? Is it happening? There may be a rebelling thought. This okay. is one of the re- least rebellious campuses in America. No, right. What are we talking that, about? That rebellious thought is that BYU can still make the NCAA tournament. <laughs> there's still a chance. It's like you're, everybody else, yeah. You're telling me there's a chance. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is exciting. See, again, you're, you're, you're changing it for me. Now, I, now I'm thinking I must listen to the next hour yes because i want to know how yeah and byu football said goodbye to a legend over the weekend details on that yeah okay a guy who was uh not oft mentioned in the shadow of lavelle edwards but was a huge huge part of byu's success yes and always standing right there next to lavelle you betcha Oh, that's true, huh? Hey, um, what? Uh, any any words about the play of one Kyle Van Noy? Um, he made a big play to prevent a two point conversion, but moral victory. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to the moral, you know? doesn't it? Yeah, the moral victory. It's fun to watch him play again. Well, and he, I think he had the very. You probably missed it because you were driving, but uh, he did a throat tackle. He grabbed somebody by the throat in the very first play. Uh-oh. It's great. Send a message. Send a total message. You come by me, Set I grab your throat. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Sent the, actually took his voice tone. Yeah. Fly, Eagles, fly. We're going to talk to Chad Lewis, who was at the Super Bowl, by the way. Oh, are you? Uh-huh. Yeah. He was an all-pro tight end for the Eagles. Yes, he was. That was good. Okay. Think he knows what it means to Philadelphia? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, do you think he knows why they had to grease up those poles so the Philadelphians couldn't climb them? Uh, they didn't why. need to climb them. They just uh, unscrewed them from the ground and carried them down the street. Not a joke. <laughs> Did they really? Yes. Biggest Nothing. event in Philadelphia since 1770. I also saw some unspeakable <laughs> things on Twitter that fans were doing in Philadelphia as well. That's amazing. Oh. Plus now, by the way, what do you do with a greasy pole? I don't know. I mean, you just leave it in your front yard. I don't I know. Oh, well. You know what? That's, that's victory. 
That's what happens. To the winner goes the spoils and the and the post lights and everything else. Good stuff. Okay, Sports Nation, folks, five minutes away. You won't want to miss it. They're covering everything, uh, uh, apparently. And, and seriously, there is a death of a, a next football coach that they'll talk about. But you're not going to name him. Uh, well, Roger French, I believe, was his name. Oh. And uh, great, great guy. He had a lot to do with BYU football. So um, they'll be covering that straight ahead. And, you know, we've learned a lot. They also liked uh, Justin's great moves, and he kept it clean, which was really, I think, wonderful. <laughs> and I still am trying to figure out why the people, the fans that were on the ground, apparently they really weren't fans watching really? the Super Bowl uh, song because they all then also broke into – I don't know what other way to say it than spastic dancing with um, weird gyration. Hmm. It was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But at first I'm like, man, those were good tickets. They're surely enthused. Those people are. And then the next thing I know, they're part of the ensemble. They were enthused. But don't call them surely. Plus they know how to use those mirrors. Yeah. Great that people are laughing at your jokes. Um, uh, as you know, we like to always close out the show with a hero story. Today, a hero, uh, Daniel Dowdy, 18 years old. He's the youngest member of the Grafton Fire Department, and he just saved the life of one of his coworkers. As he joined the ranks as a part-time volunteer and balances the job uh, with his life as a high school senior, Daniel does a very good job around here, Fire Chief Bill Rice told the InsideEdition.com, and he's an exceptional individual. He became certified less than a month ago, and his equipment remains brand new and untouched by smoke, according to, uh, to the local television station. But the skills that he's picked up has uh, resulted at this time in actually saving the life of a co-worker at his second job at a local Shopco department store when that person suddenly fell unconscious. He was working in the storage room when he heard some commotion. Maybe somebody falling, Rice, uh, Rice explained. He went over to check and he noticed his co-worker that had collapsed. The co-worker was apparently unconscious and didn't have a pulse. And so after calling for help, Dowdy immediately began administering CPR pretty powerful story and it was only a few minutes before paramedics arrived and the authorities believe Dowdy's initial attempts at resuscitating his co-worker actually saved his life when you look at the survival rates of people who are pulseless non-breathing early CPR is the key to reviving those people and thank you Daniel Doty at 18 you did it that's all it takes somebody willing to learn uh, willing to step in and do what needs to be done that's what makes a true hero and honestly just somebody that uh that has the the excitement and the willingness to do it as well. So he's the hero of the day. You all can be heroes as well. Remember, life is good. There's a lot of positive out there, and you are part of that positive. So go out and share it. Stick with us. We'll be back actually tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.